Episode of the Absolute Geek Podcast. I am Matt. I'm Kyle. I'm Brian. And I'm Corbin. And joining us here momentarily in the podcast, we have a very special interview tonight. It is our pleasure to welcome actor, Xboxer, and writer Jack O'Halloran. Uh, you may know Jack better as the villainous non who faced off against Christopher Reeves' Superman and Superman 2. Jack, are you there? I'm here. Can you there? Right. All right, we we are. We can hear you now. Yeah, Jack O'Halloran in the in the building. <laughs> How are you doing tonight, sir? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing the best I can. Whatever they'll let me get away with. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, good to hear. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you joining us uh, this week. Um, Matt has dropped a couple few nuggets of uh, information that has us all very excited to do this interview tonight. So we appreciate it, Jack. My pleasure, I'm sure. <laughs> Who's baking the cookies? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I already ate them all, as you can see. <laughs> uh-huh. I figured that. I had you zeroed in. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Uh, so you started playing sports at a young age. Uh, you started playing football and then moved to boxing, uh, became a heavyweight fighter, and you took on the likes of uh, Cleveland Williams, Emmanuel Ramos, and even uh, fought against George Foreman, right? Yeah. And you were supposed to have a couple of fights against Muhammad Ali that never worked out. Uh, kind of, Can you go through your career as a fighter and kind of what led you from that to acting? I, uh, well, I wanted to play football. And then uh, when we, uh, it was a time when you couldn't play until your class graduated college. They didn't have hardship cases in the 60s. So you, you had to wait till your class graduated before you could play. And I came out of school early and the Jets grabbed me and they had like, uh, like uh, farm teams, like for baseball, you know, they had them for football. On the East Coast, and and we we had a team down at Tinicum outside of Philadelphia. Dick Christie and Jimmy Christie uh, played on, and a couple other guys who played pro ball, some pretty good ball players, waiting to go up into the pros. And when it came time to play, uh, Philadelphia had a great team, and uh, Ferguson was down there, Tommy McDonald, and all. And, and I said to you, Bank, I, I think I'd like to get out of Philly and play a little bit. And they said, well, you know, you always have a home here. So go down and give it a whip. And, and Jerry Wallman bought the team, and he hired some clown named Joe Q. Herrick. <laughs> <laughs> and he traded a championship football team with this guy, like in three months' time. Broke you know, Jergerson was gone. McDonald was gone. Traded four great linemen, young kids to Green Bay for a retired Jim Ringo. It was just crazy, crazy <laughs> shit, boy. You know, and I, and Timmy Brown and I came out of a meeting one day and he walked right by us like we weren't even there. I said, 
yo, don't you ever talk to people? Go, oh, I said, you know what? Take this team and stick it up your ass. And Timmy <laughs> said, while you're out of trade me. And Muhammad had just won the title. And I said to some people, you know, I can, not, I can beat that guy. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm in the gym, you know. <laughs> Great story start just like that. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't box amateur because I was already considered a professional athlete. And in those days, you couldn't do both. Today, you could get away with that. You know, you could be a pro in one sport and run track in the Olympics or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can't do that back in the, in the 60s. So, wow. so I, you know, it, was, it, it all was fun and games. And the, um, then when I was like 16 and 0 or 17 and 0, and they found that I had a disease called acromeglia, which is a tumor of the pituitary gland. And they said, you shouldn't even be fighting. Blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, right. And, uh, you know, and then I was involved in my father's business from New York. And so the boxing was like a day game, you know, something to keep the law away from you. <laughs> I, that I would really I would really love to get into that a little bit. Uh, for people that don't know, cue everybody in on your uh, your your family and your your upbringing. Uh, my father was a man called Albert Anastasia, who was uh, one of the primo dons of the country. Ran a little company called Murder Incorporated. It was partners with uh, Meyer Lansky and Costello and Charlie Luciana and a few other good people. And so he, uh, <laughs> wow. uh, it was, uh, and they assassinated him in '57 because he wouldn't go in the drug business and he controlled all the all the harbors and he said, "You're not bringing that that shit through my harbors. It just ain't going to happen." And, we didn't sign up for that. And the Godfather, where Brando was offered the drug business and said, you know, he turned it down because it would be the downfall of the families. That's what my father said. He and said our true. children will touch it and it would be the downfall of the families. And your father was 100% right? Yeah, he was. No, he definitely was. And they tried to tell him, well, it's only business. And he said, it's not a good business that we want or we should be in. So. You know, it, uh, you and then when they, after they whacked him, they were they came to me when I was a kid. And they said it was the worst thing they ever did because he was the glue that held them together. After Albert died, it all fell apart, started falling apart. Wow. wow. You wrote a book about uh, uh, all this. What's the name of your book? Family Legacy. Family Legacy. And when did that yeah, book it's come actually, out? It's, quite, it's already out. It's quite a good book. It's, we're getting ready. I got three more coming, and then I... I have a partner of mine, uh, Charlie Luciana's son, and he's got his father's book, The Last Testament of Charles Luciana, Lucky Luciana. And we're going to incorporate some stuff and do a mini series and then a series. And series will be, it'll make The Godfather, it'll make, you know, Sopranos and Boardwalk look like child games. Well, I got to Whoa. I got to be honest. I uh, I've been listening to a podcast lately that uh, I I've been listening to a lot to, and I don't think that there's very many other people talking about you know your life basically what, what you know what you grew up doing. And I've been listening lately to a podcast called The Hollywood Godfather with uh, Gianni Russo, who was in was in the Godfather movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, just hearing about that history is something that. I think we always hear from one side. We, we, we well, that's the whole that's the whole nine yards. You know, you you have to. What people don't really understand is if you go back to the beginning, 
government, industry, organized crime, and unions were all partners. Yep. And all the illicit monies that they made in the beginning, they put back into the growth of a country. Yeah. You know, they hired, they, they, my father controlled the waterfront and they, they had the construction companies and they had, they invested in General Electric and what they, they created jobs because their main stay in the beginning was gambling and loan sharking and extortion. And if you didn't have money, how could you pay them? So they made sure you went to work, you know. So they were they were actually helping the growth of a country in a lot of ways, you know. And it was uh, it was all good until the Kennedy era, and then things started going downhill. Well, I, that's that's actually the exact area that I want to talk about with you because uh, you have some 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 um, thoughts on the whole Kennedy era and uh, what happened to Kennedy. And I would love to get into that. I don't know if we have enough time to get into all of it, but um, that's well, you know, it's a kind of a simple deal. If you, you, you know, if you were going to say single out one person that was responsible for Jack Kennedy's death, yeah, you got to look at his father. Yep. Because his father angered a bunch of people. I mean, he made a lot of people very angry, and it goes back to the Prohibition era when it bullet. all started when he. Uh, you know, he, he was he was married to Rose Fitzgerald, whose father was Honey Fitzgerald, who was a gangster from Ireland, but he was the first senator of Massachusetts. And he was controlled the bank there. He controlled the harbor there. He was a powerful guy in his own right, you know. And Joe Kennedy was the youngest bank president in the in the country's history. Very, very smart guy. There's no two ways about how smart he was. And, and so he married Rose Fitzgerald and then he went into, he had a, a warehouse up in Canada and there's a guy down in Newark, New Jersey, which uh, Zillman's guy was head of Fleischmann's Liquor and they got together and they ran booze out of Canada into America. And there was a load of booze coming down and they should have stuck just with New Jersey, New York and the East Coast, but Joe Kennedy was a bit greedy. And they were bringing a, a load of booze down that was supposed to go to a crew called the Purple Gang. And he hijacked it. And they said, uh, you're a dead man, sonny boy. And if they told you you were dead, you were in trouble. We, they were serious people. So he ran home to his father-in-law and his father-in-law said, I can't help you with those guys. You're going to have to go to Chicago and sit down with Joe Esposito, who was the first Don out there. Mm -hmm. And Esposito said, you know what, kid? You're a very good earner. You go back to Boston. I'll take care of the purple guy. But you belong to us out here now. You owe me. And they put him under thumb. And the only piece of property that Joe Kennedy ever put money into is the Mercantile Building downtown Chicago. They made him build that. And there was a club called the Hamilton Club, which was a political stronghold, like the New York Athletic Club. It was the Hamilton Club in, in Illinois. And the president and everybody used to hang out there. And in 1926, and Kennedy was sent to Hollywood. He, uh, if you looked uh, underneath the paperwork, RKO Studios, he put together their distribution deal with all the Jewish theater owners. That was the first real complex distribution studio deal ever done. And he was banging around, they introduced him to Randolph Hearst and you know, he was just that kind of guy, banging, socializing everywhere. And, and Hollywood starlets. 
Yeah, well, every one of them that walked down the street. He, yeah. he, was, he, he was he was a male whore. Yeah. And he, you know, in, in 1926, America was, after World War One, we became a war-bearing country. So we started to make war surplus materials. And we're taking jobs away from Europe. And Europe was getting a little bit ticked off because they were the ones who financed the country originally. And they claimed they weren't getting their money back and this and that. So the guys at the Hamilton Club sat Joe down and said, listen, we want you to try something for us. And he did a short sell on Pathé Newsreel and he stole $5 million in broad daylight. And no one ever said a word about it. And they said, that's very, very good. Now, this is what we really want you to do. And he orchestrated a short sale against 30 companies in Europe, one of them being a company that Blackjack Bovier, who was Jackie Kennedy's father, and her uncle and, grand, and his father owned. And it was a Rothschild company. And they, and in fact, that's why he drank himself to death, the guy. He, they bankrupted his company. But they did this short sale in 1929, and it worked very well. And they did it for a week and they made a lot of money and they disclimated the, the market went up and down like crazy. They took off a couple of days. They were coming back for the kill and the crash happened because the company country panicked because of the market went up and down. And it didn't bother those guys because they made a fortune and they didn't do it to make the crash. It just happened as a remnant of it. So when the crash was over and the government president grabbed Kennedy and said, you know, he did a great job. He did exactly what we wanted you to do. Now we want you to run the SEC and rewrite all the rules because they knew Europe had to reinvest in the country and they wanted them to do it under a new set of rules, and which he did. And in 1935, he, was, uh, he did such a great job. Roosevelt said, you know what? Now we're going to send you to England. You're going to be ambassador to England. And some people grabbed them in Chicago and said, when you go to Europe, we want to tie some strings with some people together. And Kennedy, we weren't in the war yet. And Kennedy went over and he put a, he sat down with the Shah of Iran, who was a gangster, and they put a bank together and he lent money to Hitler. And then the money they lent to Hitler, Hitler came back to the same crew, Ad Khashoggi, and bought weapons from him. And England turned around and said, whoa. You know, you're lending money to our enemy. What the hell do you think you're doing? And he didn't care. He was making a lot of money. Yeah, and as a matter of fact. They threw him out of the country. Yeah, as a matter of fact, didn't they, didn't they, the government, or he was doing everything he can to stop the country from going into the war because he was making, they were making so much oh, money. Oh, he was making a fortune. Submarines, he, he, I mean, they were just all kinds of war surplus. And they sent him out of the country. And nobody ever said a word why he came home. He came home as Ambassador Joe Kennedy because the Gore family in Indiana owned the newspapers on the East Coast. They never printed a bad word about it. And Hearst owned the papers on the West Coast. And all the radio stations were owned by Murchison from Texas. So no one ever said a word about why. And there was no television then. So they controlled everything very well. And he was Ambassador Joe Kennedy when he came home. And, you know, and so they, and he, he had, because of the crash, he owned all that land up and down the East Coast, all those estates and everything. It was That's how he got everything. And they, um, 
he decided he was going to run his son for president and he wanted his first son yeah. to run for president. Yeah, but what they did to him was his first son was 10 days from getting out of the service. He had, he was already mustering out and they were building a plane like a kamikaze plane to fly into the German munition factories to put an end to the war. And they convinced him to test pilot the plane. And he was a great pilot, the kid. And it was he thought that was a great honor. And he took the plane up and the plane, boop, poof, you're a pile of shit. And he was dead. You know, and a week later they scrapped the whole deal. They never even went forward with it. So they killed his first son. Which and, would crippled him mentally. Oh, it just blew him away because he was a real good kid. And, and he was when the Jack was gonna run for president. You know, he 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 uh they grabbed him and they said, Well, what are you going to do with this boy, Bobby? And they said, oh, no, Bobby, we're, we're going to make him ambassador to Ireland and we'll get him out of the way because Bobby was already being a pain in the ass. Yeah. With yeah. different committees because and once once Jack was named president, he told him to name his son. He said, put Bobby as attorney general. And he told Bobby, put all my good friends in jail. And they went after Gene Connor. He went after New York. He, they went after everybody. Yep. And, you know, it was a whole game changer, you know, and it's, uh, and they, what they did was what people don't really know, if they really look it up and read it, read well, Jack Kennedy would never lived out his term. He was dying. He was dying of Addison's disease. He had four diseases and the syphilis being one of them, actually. And they were shooting him up every day. The doctor shot him up every day yep. so he could walk around and, uh, but his father would have rather seen him die the way he died than die with a medical problem and put a mark on the family. And people say, well, man, that's awful cruel and cold hearted. And I say, yeah, well, look what he did to his daughter. Yeah. He lobotomized his daughter because she had ADD and nobody had any cure or understanding of that. And he was afraid she was going to get crazy at, a, at some big function and dance on a table or something. So he lobotomized her. She sat in an institution all her life, yep. you know, looking out a window. Yep. So he was not the, the nicest man in the world. In fact, he got his just due when he got it. When he took his stroke, his wife used to beat the shit out of him every day. <laughs> really, Rose did. She used to punch him, bang him, boom. That was her chance. Oh, that's why he couldn't move. Yeah. <laughs> he was at her disposal, but but you know he was just a, he and when, and when Jack got killed, you know people said who was the number one cop in the country, and everybody said well Hoover it wasn't Hoover it was Bobby it was the Attorney General, yeah. and four people went to see him including Adlai Stevenson, mm -hmm. and said to him do not let Jack go to Texas the animosity is horrendous, and here he is going in an open car. And they took him four months to reroute that thing down Dealey Plaza to get it where they wanted it to, to for, perform this uh, task. And here's an open car going down Dealey Plaza with the Bird Building, the book depository, open windows, people walking around with the president below you in an open car. Should have never, ever, ever been. And Bobby, who was his second skin his whole career, didn't go before, wasn't there during, and never went afterwards because they knew he wasn't coming home. It was a setup from and, the get. And it was it was it was a sad day, you know state of affairs. But you know, and people and Jack was shot that day three times. 
And no one ever talked about that either. You know, they, he was shot first in the throat. Johnny Roselli was in the, in the cauldron in the street and shot him and hit him in the throat. Conley was shot first. There were 13 shots fired then. Conley got shot first. Jack fell on top of him. Then he got shot in his lower back that they never talked about. And then the driver took the last shot and, and blew his, when you see his head go flying back. And the back of his head came out. Well, if his back of his head wasn't going to come out if he got shot by Oswald from a window behind him. That's, you know, Oswald wasn't even in the building. And there yeah. was a police station right across the street. And the, these guys were looking right in that building. There was three people in the window, two dark complected, which were Cubans, and another guy. No Oswald. You understand? And if you're anybody would tell you, if you're any know any knowledge of weapons, that was the, what Oswald, the rifle that he ordered was a mail order rifle, bolt action. Yeah. So if you're a shooter and you're taking a shot of a thousand feet or better and you have wind problems and signs and a car moving in a decline and trees and all these elements involved. And first of all, you have to arrest your heart because your pulse is in your finger. So you're 60 seconds arresting your heart and taking in all the elements that you got to do for to make a shot. And then you're going to tell somebody that you did four shots in 28 seconds with a bolt action rifle? Please, give me a break. Never happened. Yep. So I've, heard, I've heard rumors that, that or stories that the mob had uh, multiple um, shooters up and down the whole exit route as far away as, you know, uh, uh, 20, 30 uh, miles. First away. of all, the mob didn't orchestrate the hit. Okay. And, you know, that was that's all fallacy. Okay. The hit was orchestrated by one guy. Joseph who, Kennedy. And it was his first job in America. And he was a notorious guy called the Jackal. And he was... Uh, I've heard of him. a movie yeah. about him. The yep, Jackal, yep. you know, he was... He was, he was a hell of a guy. I met him a couple of times. He was a good guy. He lived in South America. In fact, he's supposed to be sitting in jail right now in France, and he's not. Some guy's doing the time. He's down at his father's ranch down in South America. But he, um, that was the first job he ever did in America. And he was the most clever guy as far as a hitter. He never talked on the phone. He never wrote any letters. And when he traveled, he traveled as a priest. And he stayed in, in, in parishes. And when you talked to him, you went into a confessional. So no one ever saw his face. You know what I mean? Wow. And they would put 20 million, they put 20 million in a bank account. He would take care of the business. And Bob's your uncle, you know? So he orchestrated the thing in, da in Dallas. And, and they, they, they had so many elements. The CIA was mad because of the Bay of Pigs. The mafia was mad because of a bunch of things. The oil guys in Texas were mad because when Jack was running for president and they had the uh, nominations in California, H.L. Hunt came out with a basket full of money, gave it to Joe Kennedy for them to run Johnson as vice president. And as soon as Jack was named president, his father said to him, you know, all those guys down there in Texas, those oil guys, they're making a fortune on what you call surplus oil, and there's no tax on it. You got to levy a tax on these guys. So they levied a tax on them, and that cost those guys like two, three hundred million dollars a year. You think they weren't a little bit unhappy? 
But they were a lot unhappy. So there was a bunch of people that, and the CIA was, you know, all those kids got killed in the Bay of Pigs because Joe Kennedy told his son, those guys don't need any bullets in their guns because you don't want anybody to make a mistake of shooting a gun off and creating an incident. And they got slaughtered. They, you know, they just got shot down like ducks in the water. So have, some people not too happy. Have you ever heard the stories of um, the deathbed confession by uh, E. Howard Hunt and um, the uh, well, the his, guy that drove the car. He, yeah, he did a, he, his son went on the Jesse Ventura show. Yeah, and he had an affidavit from his father. It was unbelievable. You can actually go listen to the deathbed confession where E. Howard Hunt, who is a, one of the most powerful men uh, in the country from, you know, the day he died and from the 60s or earlier till the day he died um, to talk about w exactly what happened. And it's, it's mind blowing. Do, do you think that uh, a lot of that is, is based in truth? Um, his, oh, his yeah. No, 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 no. H.L. Hunt was a, was a trip, boy. Yeah, he was. Uh, you got to understand what he. Everybody thought he was Texas born. He wasn't. He was born in Chicago, and he went from Chicago to Los Angeles, down to New Orleans, and he was a card shark. He was only 14, 15 years old, and he won a lot of oil leases in a card game down in Texas, and he was one of the biggest owners of the that big oil field, the first one they hit oil on. There were four of them. There were Sid Richardson himself. And uh, George and Herman Brown, which was Brown Root. George and Herman Brown wrote every check for every Texas president. They, I don't know if you know who Brown Root was. Today it's Halliburton. Brown oh. Root. Brown Root. George and Herman Brown owned a, uh, a shipbuilding place in the, in the Houston Harbor. And in 1938, they were given the contract to build warships for America. So by 1939, 1940, these guys had like $800 million, which was a lot of money in those days. And there was a guy in Austin, Texas, who had power of the pen for all the federal buildings and, and naval bases and army bases. And, and uh, Brown Root did all the building, built federal buildings and all that stuff. So they made a fortune, you know. Making money. Nobody ever talks about that. <laughs> no. Nope. You know, they were they they wrote the checks for George Bush. They wrote the checks for Johnson. You know, they 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 supported all the Texas. In in 1960, Texas had four of the wealthiest men in the world. They could have seceded from America and become their own state. You know, they they had the wealthiest guy down there. You you hardly you hear about his son, but never him was old man Murchison. Clint Murchison's father, Clint Murchison Jr., owned the Cowboys and the, the stadium they played in. But his father was the guy who had the bread, man. He was, and he was like uh, a recluse. You never saw him. He, you know, he, when they built the Long Island Railroad, everyone thought Rockefeller put up the money. Oh, H.L., I mean, Richardson, I mean, uh, Murchison did. Murchison put up the money for the Long Island Railroad when they were building the country. So he was a big time Mason. It's I've heard a lot of people explain it as like the octopus because it has so many tentacles you can't. Well, that was the name of the CIA crack. That was it was called the octopus movement. That was the name of the deal. I've 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 
I just I feel like it's gotten so um, so many different stories over the time. Well, that you've got conspiracies, but nobody nobody goes into a library and looks anything up. It's it's all there in books. I reckon nobody it was. ever nobody reads right. Everybody yeah. listen to the media. I mean, the whole Warren Commission was bullshit. Yep, it was total bullshit when they when they locked up Jack Ruby, and the Warren Commission went to question him, and Ruby said. Well, I guess you guys want to talk to me about Chicago because that's where he was from. Yeah, and uh, they said, no, 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 we don't, we don't care about Chicago. And Ruby said, well, you can't talk to me here, or I'm a dead man. You got to move me somewhere. To, if you want to talk to me, you got to take me somewhere. And they didn't. They put him in jail, mm -hmm. and they took a needle from Tulane University, which had a cancer research laboratory, and boom, six months later, he's a dead man. Yep. Uh, so wow. Nobody looks at the truth of the matter. And when you see Ruby come into that underground deal when they brought when they brought Oswald out Sorry. and the guy beside him stepped away from him because he knew he was about to Thank get shot. You know? yeah. And then when you look at the whole interviews of when they locked Oswald up, they never took a note. Never recorded a conversation. Nothing of, of his of his interrogation was ever documented, and no one ever felt that was strange. You know, yeah, because they saw him, he was he killed the president, quote unquote. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, they say they say why doesn't Hoover get involved in this? The FBI and he said, oh no, it's a one man deal. It's not a conspiracy. You know, it's all bullshit. So when I uh, one quick question about this whole thing, uh, this Kenny thing, when you uh, a personal question for you, when you when when this was happening and go, going down real life, did did you have any idea or any thoughts about what it, that it was it was, a, you know, there was something going on at the time? I, I mean, was in Dallas the night before at the party at Murchison's house. Wow. I was sent down there by Meyer Lansky. I went down there on the premise I was going to play ball for Dallas Cowboys. Wow. Murchison owned the team. Yep. And, and I met I met McCoy, who was a huge banking guy, man. And he lived in Connecticut. And I met met a lot of people. That's what I was sent there for, to learn. And I saw Johnson come in from Fort Worth when he, when he went over to, to see Jack Kennedy when he flew in Dallas to the Fort Worth airport. And he came in, and then all the whole group of them went into a room afterwards, and and we left. We we you know guys said we're done. Let's go. And next morning, I was out running with Johnny Roselli. I saw Roselli there before I left, and he was, uh, you know, they, um, the whole thing was orchestrated to the letter, yeah, and yeah. it was done so well that you have a hundred conspiracy theories. And everybody talks this bullshit. And everybody talks, and, and every ten years something new comes out. Mm -hmm. It took ten years before they ever talked about him getting shot in his back. And it took, you know, when you get Zabruder, did you ever see the Zabruder footage? Oh yeah. Well, the original Zabruder footage had eight frames deleted from it, mm -hmm. and that was the driver turning around and shooting. Well, I had those frames for a long time. And then they, the FBI got they put it all together. Now it's been on YouTube. Because somebody from NSA was going to do it, so the FBI did, and and the frames are included now. You can see the driver turn and take the last shot, and and nobody said anything about that. When you see the Zabruder footage, and you're watching them come down Dealey Plaza, the Secret Service guys peeled away from Kennedy's car, and walked to the car behind them, 
And then they all had to run up to the car when all the shots started. Because they didn't feel like getting shot, you know, they're being in yeah. the way of anything. So yeah. Well, Jackie, yeah. Jackie was climbing, trying to get out of the car. And they said, oh, no, she was trying to scrape his brains. That's bullshit. She thought they were killing her next. Yeah. She tried to get out of the car and they grabbed her and they told her, whispered right in her ear, if you say one word about what you just witnessed, because they know she saw Greer shoot him, we'll kill your kids. And she never opened her mouth. Yeah, she went into hiding, basically. Never opened her mouth. And she lived with the jeweler. She was going to write a book. She had a, an amazing diary. And when she died, her son grabbed the diary. He owned George Magazine. Then he was coming to Hollywood to make a deal. And they killed him in the play. Yep. yep. So, yep. you know, the and, and this is, all this stuff is, you know, it's, it's all, it's there. But nobody, I mean, Zabruder. So Bruder never in his life held a camera in his hand before, and he suffered from vertigo. And here he is up high, two women holding his legs, and all these gunshots going on. He never took his finger off that camera because the film was sold to Life magazine for 150 grand before it was ever shot. Wow. And no one saw it for a year. Wow. Right in Murchison's lab in Dallas. That's where the four frames were taken out of it. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. It's, this is fascinating to me. Make sure you guys, uh, all the viewers who are watching, go go check out Jack's book. Uh, what's the name of your book, Jack? Family Legacy. Family Legacy. Make sure you guys go check out Family Legacy. Yeah, if you go to familylegacythenovel.com, takes you, takes you right to Amazon, gives you the history of it, whole nine yards. How did you How, get involved in acting? They, You know, when I was boxing in 1966 and I first started fighting and I had my first few fights in Philly, and uh, we had a we had a club there that uh, Jerry Woman owned. It was in the Sheridan Hotel where they all he bought that whole building, and all the Eagles lived there. We all had apartments there and shit. And had this great disco on the ground floor, and we were the bouncers at night because it was a paycheck. And there was a big rhubarb stuff that happened there, and I wound up outside with six or seven people and few shots were fired at people and so they got me out of town so because I was undefeated as a fighter they just so they put me on a train sent me to Boston and uh, I was up in Boston and Steve McQueen was doing Thomas Crown Affair yeah and we looked after him when he came into Boston and he and I became really good friends and he, he said to me man come down he said I'm gonna put you in the movie and come to Hollywood man we'll have a ball but Steve was a great kid yeah, and and I, and I said uh, I don't think so, man. I said you know I. He said no, you got to do this. The hell with this fighting shit. He said come to Hollywood, man. And I said no. Then in 1969, I knocked out Manuel Ramos, who was ranked second in the world, and I'm looking for an Ali fight with Raymond Patriarca and some people from the East Coast put together the deal for me to do the Great White Hope with James Earl Jones. Mm -hmm. and uh, they flew me out to California. I met the producer, and I was supposed to just walk in and sign a contract, and I'm saying to the guy, well, you know, hold on a minute. You want me to go to Spain for six months? I just knocked out the number two ranked heavyweight in the world, and I'm looking at a shot at Ali, and you want me to leave? And they said, well, I thought the deal was all done. You're just supposed to sign the contract. And uh, and I turned it down, and he, Eddie, Eddie Foy, I put the deal together. He said, you're going to get me killed. I said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. 
And I'm leaving <laughs> Fox and I'm walking out and James Earl Jones is coming up the steps and he stopped me. He said, you're Jack O'Hara. And I said, yeah, you're James Earl Jones. Isn't that amazing? He said, I got to ask you a question. Is it true what I just heard about you? It's how fast stories go around. Mm-hmm. True what I just heard about you? I said, well, it depends on what you heard. He said, you just told Hollywood to take the biggest movie that they're making right now and stick it. I said, well, I guess you could say that. He said, I got to shake your hand. I've never met anybody done that before. <laughs> and we became friends. And then McQueen called me on the phone. He said, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And then he did a picture called Towering Inferno. And his name was Captain O'Halloran. And he called me up. He said, don't you like your name up on the screen? Blah, blah, blah. You know? So when I retired from boxing, and he offered me Farewell, My Lovely with Robert Mitchum. And I, uh, he flew me out to California to do a screen test and Mitchum said it's either him or I don't do the movie. So I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was it like with Robert Mitchum? That guy was like. Oh, he was great. He was like a father. He was, if you ever had to have a mentor in your life to do something, Robert was the guy. Robert was a street guy. I mean, he was the most underrated actor in Hollywood. Yes. He was, uh, he was probably the most well-read man I ever met in my life. He had an amazing memory capacity. He was, uh, I'll tell you a great story about him. Mitchum, he lived in Maryland. He owned quarter horses. He won the Rio Doza a couple times, which is the biggest quarter horse race in the country. Yep. yep. And he lived in Maryland, which is, he was down the street from the White House. So he was like the resident movie star. Whenever they needed an actor, he was home. He would go up to have dinner, all that jazz. So he gets a phone call one day and he said, uh, Mr. Mitchum, we'd like you to come and have this dinner. And he, he didn't think anything of it. He said, yeah, why, why not? So he goes up and he said, I was the only non-military guy at the dinner. All these guys were military guys and congressmen all involved in the Vietnam War. And after dinner, he's having a conversation with these people. And the guy, this one guy speaks up to him and says, Robert, he says, what do you know about Vietnam? And he said, I was just about to bullshit them because he could do that because he read everything under the sun. <laughs> and he said, I didn't. I said, I don't know anything. And he said, don't you think it's about time you learn? So he didn't think a thing of it. He went home, never thought it. And all of a sudden he gets a letter in the mail. And when he was in the army, they asked him to leave because he was always smoking pot and just, you know, he was always in the break and shit, you know. So they, he like went out below and buck private, man. They asked him to leave. <laughs> So he gets a letter and they reinstate him back into the service at level of a colonel. And he's gone, he's gone over doing his reconnaissance in a helicopter because he was looking at things and writing out reports on things that he saw and because he had this great thought process, right? And, and he's doing this for about a month, two months. And all of a sudden he's off there and they're shooting at him. And he said, this is no good. <laughs> so he gave some calls and they got sent home. And he's home about a month. And he gets a phone call from Howard Hughes, who he was very close to. And, <laughs> Howard Hughes, and all Howard Hughes said to him was, do you know about Vietnam now, Robert? <laughs> <laughs> he put the whole thing together. He yeah. said, you know, he oh. said, and I said to him, was the guy, he said, Jack, he was an incredible guy. He said, "I because he used to go down to RKO. When, when Howard Hughes bought RKO, Mitchum would go down and sit with him at night, and they'd talk about production and stuff. And he said, uh, and Howard was always 
reaching for the phone before it rang. And I said, and I, he said, ah, he said, this is bullshit. I'm going to catch this guy up. So he gets a guy outside. He gives him a couple of nickels and the phone number. And he tells him to call the number at a certain time. And he's sitting there rabbiting with, with uh, Howard Hughes. He looks at his watch and he's waiting. And before the phone even rang, Howard Hughes reached for the phone <laughs> and looked at Mitchum and said, why is this guy calling you here this time of night? <laughs> I said, well, I guess you figured out he was psychic, huh? He's <laughs> son of a bitch. So he said, he wanted Howard Hughes, Howard Hughes wanted him to run RKO Studios. And he said, uh, Howard, I'd have to get up before the actors. I don't think it'll work. <laughs> but he was great. He was, I mean, I, when I went to work, it was for, I had never been on a movie set before. And he arranged for us to drive down in the same car. He lived up in around the corner from where I was staying at. And uh, they picked him up and they came and picked me up. And, and he he's in the lobby with his, he has sunglasses on and a windbreaker and he's got his foot up against the wall. And I come bouncing out through these glass doors and nobody rec recognized him. Because that's what he was like, always like he was incognito. You know? and, and I come bouncing down the steps and he looked at me and said, this must be Jackie O. <laughs> <laughs> and we became great. I mean, he, he was great. He was, he, he, just told me exactly what I needed to do, and I grew up. I I grew up in a household that uh, relished um, those old school uh, movie stars, and uh, I've been a fan of uh, golden age movie stars. I, I know they call it the golden age, but it definitely truly was. I mean, the 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 Hollywood during those times uh, were seemed really seemed magical from a person that was standing outside of well, it. Well, you had actors were different than these kids today, you know. Yeah. And, and I and I remember the first shot I ever did. First, the first first shot I was, you know, we went, we got there to set, when we got dressed, and standing at the bottom of the steps. I don't know if you ever see Farewell, My Lovely. Yes. It's a great movie. Well, we, when we walk up into that bar, we, in the beginning, we walk up to the bar, we're looking for Velma. And uh, we're standing at the bottom of the steps, and, and Mitchum looked at me and said, uh, well, have you read that script, kid? I said, read it. I said, I know your role, Charlotte's role, and everybody from base. He said, good, throw it in the trash. I said, what? <laughs> he, said, he said, don't let me catch you doing like thousands of people here acting. Just take that character put yourself in his pants and walk down the street like you and be yourself. He said, you've been a gangster all your life and you're playing a gangster. It's sort of be a cakewalk for you. And, so we, and we went up and did the very first shot and they were moving the cameras around and everything. And I, and, and I said, what's the deal? What's going on? He said, you really don't know. I said, I'm asking you a question. He said, that's it, kid. That's a whole enchilada. I said, are you kidding me? That's all there is to this shit? He said, yeah. I said, man, I'm a star. <laughs> that became like a tagline for the film. you know. So then, and he said, I asked him, I said, what is the definition of a star? He said, it's very simple, kid. It's a word called presence. Yes. Some people have it on the screen and other people don't. Mm -hmm. And they can't teach it to you. You either have it or you don't. And I just was lucky enough that I had this presence, you know. And it's, he said, the camera loves you or it doesn't love you, point blank. And and he taught me how to look right through the camera, don't even look at it, but it'll find you. And 
and, and and he was right. You know, he said, you know, you look at a picture like Brando does, or I do, or or, or Gregory Peck, and, and no matter what movie they do, no matter what role they play, when people come out of the theater and say, oh, man, wasn't Marlon great when he did this? And, or wasn't Gregory great when he did that? And then you get an actor like George, like Bill Holden, who was a pretty good actor, but people walk out of the theater and they say, boy, boy, that guy, really, what was his name? <laughs> yeah. They just yeah. don't have that presence, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And some people have it, some people don't. And it's just one of the things, like I said, they can't teach you in any acting school. It's just there. You either, you either do or you don't. Yep. Well, so it worked out pretty well. Farewell was Farewell was a great film. I, I was the first mistake I made in Hollywood. I, Mitchum set up a meeting for me and Johnny Carson, and I met him at the Polo Lounge. And he was going to, if I did his show, he would have got me nominated for supporting actor that year. And uh, and I said, but your show is live, isn't it? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I don't think I can do it. He said, what? I said, well, I said, you know. I'll come on the stage. You're going to ask me about my father, and I'll ask you where the men's room's at. He said, "You'd get up and leave." I said, "Yeah, nobody. I don't allow people to talk about my father. I don't talk about that side of my life." And he said, "Well, no. We'll, we'll, we'll rearrange the questions. We'll make sure that we don't." I said, "John, you are the number one news reporter in all all of Hollywood. John. You have Albert Anastasia's son on your set, and you're not going to ask me about my father. Do I look like a fellow for turn truck?" <laughs> you know, no disrespect, man, but you know. And then Mitchum screamed at me. He said, Are you crazy? He said, You dumbass. He said, This is Hollywood. They love that shit. They eat it up. What are you nuts or what? What's the matter with you? And then it dawned on me that he was telling everybody anyway. So there's another story that comes out of out of uh Farewell My Lovely with the one Sylvester Stallone and there's a little uh urban legend out there that you might be able to put to bed that you you are actually the basis for Rocky. That was the truth. That was my life. I was the gangster in Philadelphia and he sat, he'd never been to Philly. Well, he was there, I think, for a semester of school. His mother was married to a wise guy from Florida with a lot of money. Sly went to school in Switzerland. Mm. And when he was doing a script and he sat there, he picked my brain every day. I told him about the waterfront. I told him about the bookmakers and and, and the gym was a gym that we did in South Philly, past Young and Moore. We had to walk up these creepy old steps and shit. But some great fighters trained there. And then they used the Main Street gym downtown L.A. for the inside of the gym because it was a lot bigger than what we had. And uh, But he had never, I mean, he didn't know anything about uh, gangsters and shit like that in Philly and stuff. And wow. he picked my, every day he picked my brain. He, you know, so. And it, you see him in the morning when he was putting the eggs, raw eggs, that he got that from me. I do that still today. Wow. I did that every day of my life. Six raw eggs I eat every day. That statue should be you and not him. Yeah, I was about to say, first class education on like a worldwide franchise right there. <laughs> but, you know, wow. God bless him. That's all. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. That's really cool. I got to jump to a movie that, or a franchise in general, obviously best known for Superman. I, I'm i willing to profess, like, Superman 2, especially, like, the fight scenes, because, you know, six-year-old Corbin loved that stuff. I watched again and again and again. And I, growing up and having a different perspective of your acting, um, I've heard that you basically put a lot of the character traits of Non, as far as him having, like, a childlike presence and being 
Well, that was the whole deal. When I uh, when I flew, we, I was doing a picture with uh, Hackman. Mm -hmm. We were doing March or Die down in Spain, and we flew up to meet Donner because they offered us. They offered me the movie, and I flew up to sit down with Donner, and he's we're talking about the character. And Nan was originally like a, a genius scientist that they lobotomized. He said, so the guy is a mute. Do you mind playing? And I said, no, because Jackie Gleason was a friend of mine. And he did a picture called Gigo that he won an Oscar for. And I said, if I ever got a chance to play a character like that, we're using body language and facial expression, I'm going to embrace it. And Nan was a perfect character because Zod was a vicious general. Mm -hmm. Sarah was a man eater. Somebody had to relate to the kids because it's a big child audience. So I said, <laughs> I'm going to take this huge brutish guy and I'm going to play him like a child. You know, know, learning how to work his eyes and, and with the child mannerisms and stuff, you know, adoring Zod and shit like that. And, uh, <laughs> And it worked. It worked. That came off pretty good. You know? Yeah, I was gonna say one of my favorite scenes was you um, where, where um, Zod, where they had entered um, that small town, and yeah. now practicing his heat vision on the barn and with one of the kids looking along. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, Besides, the kid? Yeah. yeah, he was focused and was so proud when he did it. It was it was fun. Oh, yeah. What was it like working with members of the cast? Obviously, um, Christopher Reeves, but also like Terrence Stamp and Sarah Douglas. Just Tur Terrence is a, was a is a brilliant. English actor. I mean, the guy is renowned. And Sarah was young, but she was, you could see she had a talent. You know, she was, she was gorgeous. And she just, she, she had that ballsiness about her. So, you know, it worked out really well. And, you, you know, when you work with people for a couple of years, you become like a family, you know, and, uh, and, and working with Terrence and Sarah was, was a treat. I mean, it was, and Brando was, Brando was brilliant. I mean, there's some great actors in Superman. Even the people that play the judges and all. You know, Trevor Harris, Trevor Howard, and a few real stalwart English actors. Maria Schell, I mean, European woman actors. Jeez, they had some brilliant people in the picture. So it, 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 was, it gelled. It really worked well, you know. And uh, Brando was... Brando's Brando. He was a trip. I, I, I feel like Gene Hackman is... is, is uh, one of the s stars of that film that doesn't get enough credit uh, for his role. And I mean, I, uh, Gene Hackman in that in that role was he was brilliant. Gene's a great actor. He's and he's methodical. I mean, Gene really. When they fired Donner, Gene wouldn't come back. And we and I blame that on Christopher. Christopher should have stood up and said, "No Donner, no me," and they would have had no choice. They didn't want to pay him. That was the problem. And the same is, how do you cut Marlon Brando out of a picture? True. Right? And they cut him out of two because they didn't want to pay him. And they already paid him to do one and two for the footage, but they didn't want to pay him the points. That wow. He had, you know? So, I mean, who cuts? And when you see the Donner cut, the Donner cut's much better. I don't know if you ever saw the Donner cut. Yeah. And Brando's in through the, all that footage. It was already shot. You know, mm -hmm. but, you, but you don't see in when the Lester cut, uh, Hackman never came back. He no. just, uh, said, nope, thanks for another thing. And so I, a lot I, of his stuff was back. It was behind. You see a guy from behind. Mm, wow. couple scenes. But most of they used the stuff that Donner shot of Hackman, who they put in there. Oh, wow. I've heard that and through that whole shooting that Christopher Reeves kind of walked around very arrogantly and, and like well, a new actor. Well, you understand something. You know, he was young. It was the first big movie he ever did. 
Uh, and he should kiss Donner's feet every day of the year because Donner got a performance out of him. You'll never see another Superman like that kid did. He did the, the Superman, Clark Kent switch over brilliantly. And that was Richard Donner that did that. And when he first came on the set, he only weighed like 170 pounds. And they build them up. And when they were building them up, I talked to the guy who did Darth Vader. I forget his name. He was the bodybuilder. And I said, you know, don't pump him. Cut him up like Christopher, like Steve Reeves, definition-wise, because he was he would never wear anything underneath the kid. So he wanted to mold his body to make it look like it was the natural. So he put on like a 200, he get up to 200 pounds, like 30 pounds of weight, but it was put on him properly. And he looked great. You know, it, it just worked really, really well. I mean, he, he did the character, somebody he just walked around like that all day. That was the problem. Well, yeah, you, you know, guys he, almost you guys almost came to blows, from what I understand. You almost well, let him you know, up, they, and, and Donner uh, stepped the, in. The story, you know, <laughs> I think it's so blown out of proportion. You know, he, I mean, set the a, record straight. There was a restaurant in town. Italian restaurant in town uh, on Beecham Place, San Lorenzo. And they were friends of mine. It was the first Italian restaurant in London. So I used to eat dinner. I lived down the street in Cunningham Square, and I used to walk up and eat dinner there every night because a lot of friends of mine used to go there as well. And and I used to tell all the people from the crew and everything, God, you guys got to come in. This restaurant's brilliant because the food was brilliant. And it became a big paparazzi place. Diane used to go there and all everybody. So everybody used to go in and have dinner in there. And he was, Chris was in there one night with Hackman and a bunch of people. And he's talking about me and my father in New York and things he doesn't know anything he's talking about. And the owner of the restaurant called me on the phone and said, Jack, how well do you know this Christopher Reeve kid? And I said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, he's in there talking like he's a long lost cousin of yours talking about your exploits in the mafia and all this. I said, you shitting me? He said, no. So the next day I went to work and I grabbed him and I said, yeah, we need to have a conversation or something. And I took him into a room and I and I said to him, I said, you know, how well do you think you know me, kid? Well, I uh, just hear all these stories about you. I said, what gives you the right? You know, to talk? And, I, and I told him, I said, the next time you mention my name, put sir behind it. Stand up. <laughs> and you ever talk about my father again, and you know, that's a bad idea. So we came to an understanding, and then as soon as we got in the hallway, went outside, he started this, you can't talk to me that way. And I said, Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> like he was Superman, you know? And I grabbed him and I threw him against the wall. And I was just getting ready to whack him, and Donner jumped up in my ear and he said, not in the face, Jack. Don't hit him in the face. <laughs> so I bucked out laughing. I just dropped him on the floor. You don't know how lucky you are, kid. <laughs> and and then, you know, then you let it go. You know, you just because you got to work together for the rest of you. So it's just, you know, we never became the greatest of friends, but he was, he was a friend. He was a good, you, got, you can't not be friends when you work like that on a film. True. You know? True. Wow. That's story. Uh, what was your feeling about the direction as well? Um, once uh, you you had mentioned uh, Donner and the and Superman franchise after that, were you also like, okay, this is a wrap as far as just the quality of it and being a part of well, that? If Donner would have finished two, he'd have done three, four, five, and six because he still does the comic books today. He loved the franchise. He and Mark Mankiewicz were just up over their ears with it, you know. 
So they would have been a whole different franchise. Wow. And that's the sad part. And that uh, who got cheated was the was the, the, the fan base, and the salt kinds were just money whores. You know, they, they they didn't care. They just they they were they, they made a lot of money, and they didn't they weren't looking at the future. You know, which you would think if they were real producers they would have. Yeah, but and and Warner Brothers ought to be spanked as well because, you know, they were and at that time they were like, like we were shooting two. We really got into two, and we had shot like eighty five percent of it when we we had to stop because he had to deliver one, and we had he had to do some end shots with it, and and Donner got hooked up into doing two. So Saul kind of said, "Whoa, man, we gotta you gotta give it." So Warner Brothers came over to the studio and they said, well, you know, you guys are going to be late bringing it in. He said, you know, maybe we maybe we don't pick up two. And uh, kind B and kind said, well, does that mean that I can I can shop around for other distributors? And they said, yeah, why not? And they thought because he was he was asking for another 15 million. And he put a whole bunch of distributors in a theater and I was sitting there. And he brought the fight scenes out and showed the fight scenes. Warner Brothers couldn't get the rubber bands off the money fast enough. <laughs> because, you know, we broke technology rules with those shots. We did something that was never done before. That wasn't just CGI. We weren't on wires with that. We we shot Vista Vision on Vista Vision. We're up on this big 70-foot screen with poles coming through the, the, the screen and they shot us into the movie. That's why it looks so great flying under bridges and around buildings. And, you know, and the fight scenes were brilliant. My God, they were. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's why the movie stands up today. It's a great film. Well, <laughs> I was going to say that's the best parts. One of the scenes I have to ask about, because I laugh every time I see it. And you, it, it the, the cellophane S. When it, Was there ever a time filming this movie when after Donner had exited? Where you were, idea. Yeah, where, where when Lester was, took over that, that you were like, this is ridiculous. Like the, uh, Well, he was like a television actor. I mean, he, Lester did everything in, in, in the laboratory. For instance, when they shot in Paris at the Eiffel Tower, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you ever look at the film again, you look real, real look at it, and it, those scenes because Margot's coming up and the cops, you know, she's trying to con the cop to get up the tower, mm-hmm. and you see raindrops hitting the guy. It was pissing rain that day. You look at the cop car and the windshield wipers go back and forth, <laughs> but yet it looks sunny out in the film because Lester just went ahead and shot it, and then he went in the laboratory and poof. You know, cleaned it up, made it look like sunshine and stuff. And it was, uh, but that was his way of doing things. He, you know, he he would make so many shots and cover shots, and he'd go in and he in the editing room and he patch it together. Where Donner was on the money, boy, he was just. And in that specific scene, you can kind of tell because I I rewatched it recently and. The the when when they're at the Eiffel Tower and the terrorists the the words don't fit the mouth and when they're talking so you can kind of yeah. see that it was cut over and re-edited. Oh and, no, that was that's that's Richard Lester shit. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. look at when you see if you ever see it again you want look at the the windscreen wipers on the cop car they're going back and forth back and forth and and the cops got spots on his shirt from the raindrops. 
It's a shame because the quality definitely did drop dramatically after two, which to my mind was like the pinnacle of it. I mean, one was solid, but I loved two. I mean, after that, it was just... Well, a lot of two was was Donner. Mm -hmm. Lester, to put, for a director to put his name on a script, on a film, mm -hmm. you have to shoot 50% of it. Oh. So he had to come back. And what for us was great because we worked another half, another year and a half or something, you know. <laughs> but he had to come back and reshoot a lot of stuff. But then he interfaced Donner stuff. So to make two was a good movie, but too much comedy in it. Yeah, I yeah, because they wanted to make it. Comedy. They wanted to make it more campy, and as the yeah. popularity of the Batman TV show with Adam West, if I'm correct, right? Well, that's what you. If you watch the, if you watch the Donner cut, that's not there. It's a much. Yeah, it was a lot more yeah. brown. Yeah. yeah, much neater film. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I noticed that on rewatch that there's it was great. There were great films. I've know? noticed that a couple times on rewatches that, like you said, there's there's issues where like it's like audio is thrown in in places where it doesn't look like it belongs, and and kind of just the way that with the internet and people study film now, anybody can kind of pick that up nowadays. Just where where you can kind of see what was kind of dubbed over. So yeah, yeah, you can if you really if you're astute and you're watching it. Yeah, but everybody gets caught up in the whole spectacular of Superman. So. You know, and he was the first American super, you know, superhero. So, and then when they, they after after Superman three and four was diabolical. Then they when they come out with what they're doing now, they changed the costume. They took away the all American way. They, they they Superman all of a sudden starts killing people. You know, and that 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 shit should not have happened. So we're thinking of doing. We have an idea to do another Superman and change the franchise back to where we can bring Christopher back because of the technology today. With the hologram deal, we can bring Christopher Reeve back. And we have a great storyline to bring three villains and Christopher back. That would be interesting. Wow. Yeah, that'd be very no, interesting. I got a great storyline. It really, really works well. How so how we familiar were you with the, the Superman character before you took the role and, and signed on to Superman 1? Did you kind of read the comics as, as a kid? Well, I, I didn't know about none at all. It, it, uh, I, super, everybody read Superman comics when you were a kid. I mean, that was, if you read any comics, they were like star people comics then. That was, mm -hmm. like I said, the first superhero uh, in American history was Superman. So, did, so what kind of drew you to that that role of non then? Just that they kind of let you Just play him anyway. I was playing a mute guy that I could do, I could do what I wanted. You know that uh, I could play him like a child, and I knew that that was going to. Uh, and, and I had so many. When I first, I remember the first Comic Con I did it. People come up to me and they said, "My God, you can actually talk." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then and, and the kids would come up and they'd say to me, oh, my God, your character frightened me so much. But I love the character. Oh, my God. Because it related to him like a child. Mm -hmm. So evidently what we did worked out pretty good. Yeah. Thank God. So oh, on a, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Matt. I was just going to say how I want to know how fun was it the day that you got to go into shoot? And they're like, all right, this is a scene where you you get to just bust up the Daily Planet. You just get to blow through everything. <laughs> Were you excited I, on that I day? That. I tell you, that, you know, I really had a good time with that because I did all my own stunts. 
and they had a and when we walked through the wall, you know, they had the they had cut out parts of the thing, and the and the guy had a jack that it was supposed to explode it and everything, and the jack never went off. So I did all that with myself, just busted right through. And then the jack went off afterwards and hit me in the arm, and I never said a word. I just walked through the scene. And, and, oh. the, and the guy who, the prop guy, he got white, and he ran. Because <laughs> he hit me in the arm. And he said, oh, my God, he's going to kill me. <laughs> I said, where is that kid? And the guy said, you can see the white of his ass running down the hallway. <laughs> I think he went to lunch real early. <laughs> so, so in any of, uh, of your roles, obviously talk about some of the roles you've had. Is there any that you particularly wanted to get and, and didn't? I know uh, we referenced, I think, Jaws before, but any role that you, looking back, wish you had either accepted or looked into or, or considered? Well, the, the Bond picture, I, I didn't like the character. And I, and I didn't want to get into being just that big, dumb guy all the time. You understand? Mm -hmm. And you know, I just didn't. If uh, if it was Sean Connery doing Bond, I probably would have done the picture. You know, uh, I, I there was a Burt Reynolds picture that I turned down, and I wish I didn't turn down. And it was a picture that I was doing King Kong, and they came to me to do a picture with uh, with uh, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, uh, the train robbery thing, and it was. Uh, and I, I and we had a couple of weeks off while they were in New York, and I was sitting at the beach in Hermosa Beach, and I, I could have went five, six weeks up to Canada and shot this picture, and I wish I had done it. I should have done it because Paramount made me a great deal. If they would have done that, I had a great script that I wrote that they would have done, and and I would have done a couple other pictures for them, and you know you become like a house actor and stuff. And I, uh, I just, uh, I should have done it. Period. So I made a few mistakes in my career, but I generally pick stuff that I wanted to do, you know. But there were a couple pictures that I wish I would have done, that I should have done. That did is you, interesting. Did you take many role of your roles based on the the cast that you were working with, like the supporting cast, people you want to work with, like uh, Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd and Dragnet? Oh, or? They, when they offered Mankiewicz did Dragnet, and when he offered me Dragnet, and Tom Hanks, that was his uh, coming out of the out picture. You know, that was, mm -hmm. I mean, he's a great kid. And Danny Aykroyd, it's a trip. I mean, you you could watch Dragnet 50 times and still not get all the one-liners that he throws out. And and I love the script. It was, uh, you know, I said, wow, this is going to be a good, we'll have a, a good time doing this. And, and we did. And it, was, it was a nice little film, you know. It was just like the one picture I did that, should have gotten, but the AFCO embassy didn't have the money to promote it correctly, was the Baltimore Bullet. Because Jimmy Coburn and Omar Sharif was in it. It was Bruce Boxleitner's first picture. And we actually shot the nine ball tournament on MGM's studio lot that year. So every pool hustler in the world was there. And Newman came down and watched this play because, and Jimmy Coburn was a pretty good pool shooter. So we had a lot of fun doing that in New Orleans. And Omar Sharif was a trip. He's another great actor, you know. So I've been very fortunate in my career to work with some pretty, pretty good actors. You know, thank God. Like Chuck Norris. Yeah, Chuck. We did uh, *Here in the Terror*, and it was probably the best film that he ever did as an actor. 
you know, and, uh, and again, they ran it. They didn't have the money to promote that properly, and that because it was a pretty good little movie. Hero in the Chart, and that's another character that I did. You know, that was a, played with facial expressions and stuff because the guy was a mute guy. He didn't didn't have a hell of a lot of dialogue, you know. But I I, I remember I remember uh, doing a scene where I was coming to the garage, walking down the track, and. Uh, the woman I was with was sitting down there on the set, and and I walked up and I turned around and came down in character, and scared the shit. She said, "I don't think I can ever play with you again." I scared the shit out of her. But you get you fall into character and stuff. It was different, you know. But yeah, I liked here in Turner was a good picture for me. I mean, I had a lot of fun doing it, and Chuck was a good good guy to work with. So tell us a little bit about your time on uh, the the Flintstones film. You worked on the first Flintstone. You played Yeti, that, and you know, I you, that film really ticked me off because <laughs> it's the first time I ever had any footage ever cut out of a movie. And they came to me to do a commercial for a, a hamburger joint uh, because we did we did these great scenes at the gate with Rosie O'Donnell and all interfacing and it was and it was really worked out the really great scenes. And they cut him out to make room for Liz Taylor. Oh. Liz Taylor was in the picture and the director was a schmuck. You know anytime you get a guy that shoots forty to one ratio, you know I mean he made Lester look like a schoolboy. It was uh, <laughs> it was uh, and, and that really ticked me off. So it wasn't a great big role. But it had some great scenes in it that uh, made me want to do it, you know. And, and John Goodman's a good kid. I liked him. It was, uh, you know, and it was a great, you know, it should have been a, could have been a much better movie than it was. So I want to kind of circle back real quick to your your book. You you mentioned many times at the interview that you didn't like talking about your father. And you didn't like when people try to bring up your father. What kind of finally made you want to write that book? Well, you know, I sat down with a bunch of friends of mine and, uh, and I said, you know, I'm tired of all the stories that threw us under the bus. Mm -hmm. And it's time to tell the truth because America really wants the truth. And if you ever read the reviews on Amazon in the book, you'll see some 90-year-old guy, yeah. guy from New York wrote a great review. He said, you know, this book has is, is got so much truth in it. And all the characters' names are there, and all the stories from the New York newspapers are all real. He said, because I lived it. I was there. I lived it. And it was about time somebody told the truth. No. So it's, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it's time that we do this. And uh, I have a lot of friends of mine that, you know, the people tried to put them away all their lives. And I said, you know, we might as well get paid for <laughs> telling the truth. And nothing like clear in the air. And showing people this is actually what it was instead of, you know, the oh, yeah. game of like, everything. You know, I was born in Philadelphia and uh, in, in a neighborhood, not, you know, not in the suburbs and big house, but in a row home in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And we never locked our front door. Kids played in the street from sun up to sundown. No one ever bothered them. You could leave a baby pram outside, no one ever touched it. I mean, in the summertime, it was you know, it was too hot to sleep indoors, so people used to sleep in the yard outside. They put mesh things around for the mosquitoes and they slept outside. No one ever bothered anybody. 
because the neighborhoods were run by people. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think of committing certain crimes, man. It was not a good idea because you would forget about the cops. You had to answer to other people. Gotcha, if you turn on the wrong toes, man, you had a problem with it. So it was it was a whole different it was it was and it wasn't drive by shootings and it wasn't all this I mean I, I remember the first time I think I ever saw a gun in the street uh it was a King Sussing playground in southwest Philadelphia. A guy had a zip gun. And it was a homemade zip gun. And it was the first gun I think I ever saw. I was about twelve, thirteen years old. So, and I understand that you also have you have connections, and you know you personally knew Jimmy Hoffa. I knew Jimmy well. Yeah, Jimmy was a good guy. I liked Jimmy a lot. And you look at this picture they did the, the, the Irishman. That's total bullshit. You know, that, that was total Hollywood taking advantage of conspiracy again that, about stories that no one ever put an answer to. Yeah, and I knew Frank Sheeran very well. Frank was a driver for Hoffa. And Russell Buffalino was a great. I I love Russell. Russell, Russell used to come watch me fight in Scranton. I knew Russell for very well, and and and, and Billy Billy Buffalino, who was Hoffa's lawyer, and you know, so Jimmy was Jimmy was a man's man. Jimmy, mm-hmm. you you had to love Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy would never ask you to do what he wouldn't do himself. Mm-hmm. And what they put him in jail for was total bullshit. That was Bobby Kennedy. You know, to get him for $8,000, I mean, there was no pension fund until Hoffa. Hoffa created the pension fund. He gave, he, he took he took men, he took men who was working 16, 18 hours a day. Not only did they load and unload the trucks and drove them, they did everything, you know. And he changed all that. He made driving trucks across the country a, a big-time job. Mm-hmm. Those guys make six digits a year doing that. There's lawyers that quit practicing law just to be out in the sunshine driving a truck, you know, and, and he did that. That was Hoffa. So to say that he stole $8,000 from the pension fund to fix his house, that was a crock of shit. He never had, he never would have done it, never had to do it. So and when he went away, he thought he was only going in for a short time and coming right out. He thought the deal was going to be done. And he, he didn't realize that he backed the wrong guy for president and, and, and he, he did a few years in there, you know. Uh, but I remember the day he went away. Trucks lined up all the way to Lewisburg, beeping their horns while he was driven in the cop car. <laughs> they were taking him to jail, man. All these truckers were blasting their horns and stuff as he drove by. So but Jimmy was helping out so much. Say what? I said, yeah, they helped him out so much. Yeah, Jimmy, was, Jimmy, was, Jimmy was, Jimmy was, Jimmy uh, was, I liked Jimmy a lot. I had a lot of respect for him. But he was his own worst enemy. When he came home, he created he created a headache for himself, and uh, and uh, he's not buried anywhere. Nobody's ever going to find him. So and and Sheeran certainly didn't kill him, and Sheeran never killed Joey Gallo. That's a bunch of pop too. That's 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 just Hollywood. You know? Wow. So when you say he's not buried anywhere, you think that someone just knows where his remains are, and they're. Oh, I know exactly where he's at. I knew it. They never go find them. That's crazy. Never go find one them. spot or multiple spots. <laughs> well, let's say he was uh, scattered around, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel you. I got gotcha. you. So crazy those types of things. Wow. <laughs> but he was uh, Jimmy was Jimmy was Jimmy was a man's man. I, I 
I like Jimmy. Jimmy was, Jimmy was okay. And I went across country with him. We, we, we took care of him, made sure he was all right. Because we were doing union business in those days. And uh, just, you know, traveling. And I watched him, you know, he was, he was so dynamic and so positive. And he created a huge union. I mean, they were... Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why the Kennedys wanted him out of the way is because he controlled a big vote. He was like the vote machine, man. There were a lot of teamsters that voted. Mm-hmm. He had a big influence. Yeah, he was. Yes. So kind of going back on your fighting career a little bit, you we, we talked about you had multiple fights set up with Ali. What, what kind of happened with those falling through? Was it... First time we were supposed to fight was when he fought Norton and... I was California heavyweight champion. I was living in San Diego, and uh, and he called me on the phone one day, and he said to me, "You got to do me a favor, man." I said, "Listen, I'll do a favor. Sign a contract to fight me." <laughs> he said, "No, I we, we can work that out, but you got to get." And I was fighting his brother Rockman, and uh, he said, "You got to get my brother out of boxing, man. It's an embarrassment to me." And I said, "Rockman Ali's your brother?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "You got to." Yeah, so I figured, oh, shit, I better go to the gym a couple of days. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I knocked Rockman out, and he never fought again. I, you know, it was, uh, he, he wasn't a bad fighter. He, he ran and grabbed it. He was just, anyway, thought he was, thought he was his brother with speed, but he didn't have speed. Muhammad Ali, any sport he would have done, he would have been great. He was a great athlete. Mm-hmm. Far enough. And... So he, you know, I knocked his brother out. We made a deal. Uh, we had a place down in the convention center. It was owned by a Canadian guy. We gave Ali 40% of everything. It was a great deal for him. And Norton was owned by two millionaires, Bob Byron and Art Rifkin. And they went to Chicago with a suitcase full of money and gave it to Herbert Muhammad. And, uh, Ali fought Norton, and he called me on the phone crying. He said, I don't know how to tell you this. He said, but I, I had no control over it. He said, you know, it's really a lousy deal, and I'm sorry, but, you know, this is what it got to be, you know. And I said, okay. So that fight was out, and then I, another time we were supposed to fight in Australia, and he fought Joe Pugner instead because of money or some other shit. I don't know. And he, it was, um, then I, I beat Alvin Blue Lewis in Detroit, who was ranked number two. And then there were, Blue Lewis was getting ready to fight Alvin. Blue Lewis lost to him in Ireland, 13 rounds, it went. And then they came, he came home and he beat Terrell and he beat another guy. And uh, they called me in San Diego and said, you want to fight Alvin Blue Lewis? And I said, can you get my license back? Because they take my license in San Diego for organized crime. And uh, he said, yeah, no problem. We'll give you a license. No problem. You take the fight. I said, yeah. It was like on a seven, eight day notice, you know. And I went up to say, I went up to Detroit and I beat out Blue Lewis to death. I really beat him bad. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, we, it was funny because we, we got paid, I think, something like 3500 for the fight or something, which was unbelievable. But we made 95000 betting every round around the ring. <laughs> every single round. The guy said, Jack, realize you're in Detroit. This is his hometown. 
I said, you bet every single round I'm going to beat this guy from one end of the road to the other. And, uh, and then I went up to camp to see Ali. And I just beat Blue Lewis. And I said, okay, Pappy, let's let's get this thing on. This guy's number ranked two in the world. I said, you know what? It's the second time I've done this. Let's let's play. And he said, yeah, man, we'll try and work something out here. And he sat down. <laughs> he sat down. And we were, we were in the, we were, we were in, into the, the boxing room in the back and all the reporters were in the front room and he, he shut the door and he said, he said, listen, just, just come over and let's do, we're kicking the door like we're fighting and all this shit. We're yelling at each other. And all these reporters are the other side thinking there's a big Donnie book going on, you know. He's a showman in the half. Before <laughs> he screamed, you can't hit me, white boy. What do you think you're doing? Said, he, he said, like I, and we come out laughing like hell. And we sit down to have dinner, and he looked at me and he said, listen, if I give you a fight, he said, are you really going to try and beat me? I said, let me tell you something. For the first time in my career, I will go to camp like you do, and I will spend eight weeks away from everything and everybody, and when I come in that ring, you better bring a gun with you. <laughs> <laughs> Two steaks, please. Oh, wow. <laughs> He was, uh, he was, he was one, you know, Ali was just an amazing individual. And if you ever met him one-on-one, -on -one, he was a total different person. He was a, a smart, smart as a whip, boy. So Good guy. I, I, have had to, a lot of I have to ask, you said at the beginning that, that he's the reason you got into boxing. You said you could beat him. You both yeah. fought George Foreman. I got to ask, one-on-one, yeah. -on -one, Jack O'Halloran, Muhammad Ali, who, who wins? That's it would have been a hell of a fight. I mean, when I fought Foreman, I did it on a week's notice. And and I walked into a punch. And and I got up. And they stopped the fight right away, which really pissed me off. Because if you ever see the tape of that fight, I was beaten in the first couple of rounds. And and it, uh, and it he knew it, too. George, George was very glad they stopped the fight. And, and he and George and I are good friends. And he's, uh, he, George is... He gave me a list one day of, of the 10 hardest hitters that he ever fought. I think I was number four. Nice. That's yeah, that, that was only his 15th professional fight, right? Yeah. That you guys went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And you went five rounds, yeah. right? Yeah. I walked into a punch. My own fault. You know, I just I walked into a punch. and, I, and um, But I got up, and I, that's what really pissed me off. They stopped the fight right away, and I said, whoa, wait a minute. Wow. But it is what it is, you know. Wow, that's that's a story, man. This, wow, all the, from the boxing to the movies to the this family. No, you live like nine life. people's lives. Right. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's its own book. Like you could honestly put like volumes of this stuff together from the boxing career, the family history, the acting, and the anecdotes and stories from that. Like I'm, I haven't even worried about. We're building a studio. I'll tell you what, we're building a studio in Nevada. Mm -hmm. Four million square foot studio. It's going to be the biggest studio in the history of the business. Something that should have been done 30 years ago. And for the first time, we're going to put everything under one roof. And from films to music to streaming to television, and we're going to have 110 sound stages. Everything under one roof. Every technology that there is in man's creation in the industry. And we're building a smart city right next to it that'll house 25,000 people who will work at the studio. So they only have to go 15 minutes to work. 
wow. That's my kind of commute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, I, if I'm doing a film today, I live in Redondo Beach. If I got to go to Warner Brothers to do a movie, I got a two-hour drive yeah. each way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So what we do is we get an apartment or something to stay up in town with, depending on how your work schedule is. But it's, you know, and, and technicians have a hard time. They got to drive way from different areas to get to work. So you're putting pressure on people. So to make it much cost effective to build this place like this, and there's smart city next to it, and they only have 15 minutes to go to work, boy, their heads are clear. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get better volume of work out of them. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put, we have 2,000 acres of property, so we're going to put some old sets on the outside and build things so that guys doing little films like, you know, from 500,000 up, they, they have a place to do it without having to run all over the place, getting permits and shit like that. And uh, the technology, we're going to have the greatest. I mean, I'm so looking forward to this. I was going to say, how long has this been, project been in development? Oh, this, the studio? Well, with- we, you know, it's amazing how, how fate works. We, my partner and I were going to build a place in L.A. We had the greatest building to do it in Long Beach. And, and 208, we had all the money. We had everything ready to go. And the world fell apart in 2008 financially. Mm-hmm. I mean, just poof, everything disappeared. And thank God, because in Nevada, we have a much better deal. We have a better tax deal. We have a better deal. I mean, the industry will move to Nevada. And when we put everything under one roof like that, we will have companies from all over the world wanting to come and play there. So it's going to be. A much better, and like I said, you know, you got 15 minutes to go to work. You have, you know, you have a, a great brand new city, and we'll have housing and everything, and we'll hold the mortgages for people, and we're going to make it affordable for, because all the people make six digits a year. If you got a buzzing studio that's buzzing, 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 they're all going to work. Mm-hmm. And you just make it so applicable for them mentally, you know, and put schools there for their children and everything, and all the problems in Las Vegas with with meth and all that shit, I will keep that out of there. And then we will put a ring around the rosy. Oh. <laughs> I get that. Well, my, have, my, uh, kind of my last question for you is with, with all your time in the industry and still being active, how, how has the industry changed in your opinion from, from when you began to current? The people running the studios today are MBA guys. They don't have any there's no depth they run a studio for three or four years rob a lot of money and they leave no one has any vision look at the property look what they're making they're remaking everything mm-hmm. there's great scripts yeah. that are being handed in and they pass them over because they don't know what they're doing they really don't and they i mean it's like we're getting ready to do this mini series we're going to do films but you can only put so much into a two-hour deal so we're going to do a mini series turn it into a series there will never be another series like this again because of what we're going to do. And the one genre, in other words, nobody has a crystal ball to tell you what's going to work in Hollywood. But one genre of films that never loses a dime are organized crime pictures. Even the spoofs that they do make money. You know? The intrigue is too, it's just too high. Well, you, you, you get like, like they did a, a picture, a little picture I, to me, it was a little story as far as organized crime is concerned. They did a picture a few years ago with uh, Tom Hanks, Road to Perdition. 
Mm-hmm. About a hit guy that nobody ever heard of. A hit guy, and, and Paul Newman was in the picture. Tom Hanks was the hit guy, and he has a little kid. Picture did a billion dollars. Wow. It was a storyline. Of the wow. kid. Mobster movies. Yeah. It's Mobster just... movies make money. And, you know, yes. I mean, The Godfather, there's no telling. Nobody will ever tell you how much money they've made off of that. It's just the allure. It's just the... But to do what we're going to do and to tell the truth. You, you See, you're talking about audiences, okay? Mm-hmm. So, like the, like, the Amazon reviews of that old man, 90 years old, and a few other people like that. Mm-hmm. We do this, you'll have an audience of people from 90 to 16. Mm-hmm. When I first wrote the book, I gave it to four high school kids to read. And they ran to the library and looked up some of the names and some of the incidences because they couldn't believe how real it sounded and they wanted to find out. And it was it. And they came back to me and they said, "Why don't they teach us this in school?" They like to block certain things out. You no, know, because they don't teach you history in school of the country. I get you. There's three guys sitting here. Let me ask you a question. What was the very first prohibition in America? The 20s? No, alcohol. Nope. <laughs> it, was, well, it was tea. Nope. Oh, you said water. I said when. You can look this up on the commute. Mm-hmm. 1914, they passed something called the Harrison Bill. The Harrison Bill gave Big Pharma power. Created oh, the drug business. Oh, wow. Harrison Bill, before the Harrison Bill was put in place, you could buy marijuana across the counter. No one ever said a word. Cocaine was in Coca-Cola. You could buy opiates across the counter, and there was no addiction problems. Wow. So what they when the Harrison Act came in, that meant doctors had to script everything, gave Big Pharma their power, mm-hmm. and controlled over all drugs, prescription drugs. Yeah. Now here's your big problem. Women in that era, families never got divorced. They got married, they stayed married, they had eight kids, ten kids, and women had they were housewives, they didn't go to work, and they were tired because they had all these kids and all this shit, you know. And doctors gave them speed to wake up in the morning, Valium to go to sleep at night. And all those drugs are going in their body, oh, and man. babies' bodies, and addictions were being born, mm-hmm. and no one ever said a word about it. And then we went through the 60s with rock and roll, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and shit. And 1970, they came out with a documentary called The Littlest Junkie. Mm-hmm. New York Hospital, because all these babies were coming in screaming and crying and no one could figure out what was wrong. And one bright doctor said, those kids are going through withdrawal. Yep. They're going through drug withdrawal. Their bellies are cramping. Wow. You understand? And they only showed that documentary once. It was off the air because the same as you're having with the CBA oils and everything now, big farmers fighting like crazy. They they kept marijuana and everything under lock and key for so long, and it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. Just like hemp, we're going to build this studio out of industrial hemp, which is the best building material you could ever have in your life. It's going to last forever. Oh yeah, but and it's better to work with. And, yeah. and, and if I build, I can build a 1,200 square foot home. Two-bedroom, two-bath, tile floors, inlet, all made out of hemp. I can build that house in two weeks' time for $20,000. Wow. 
and the temperature inside will stay between 69 and 72 continually. So well insulated. Yeah. And hemp grows so fast. And it grows every 90 days. Yep. It just, and, it's, and, it's, and, the, and the material is, I mean, if you go on Amazon, there's 2,000 products that hemp is involved in. And when the Indians built their teepees, you ever see Indian pictures? And the teepees where they lived in these teepees, in the snow and the blizzards and all that shit, because they were made out of hemp. Yeah. So they, yeah. there's just so many, and it was pushed aside in the 20s and it's 1910 when steel and concrete pushed them, pushed the hemp business aside. I thought the oil companies helped do that as well. Well, it, it's, the, the oil business is going to change because the, the biggest pollutant that we have in the earth is a combustible engine. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's been alternative energies, but now they're, they're starting to really come out with them. They're building cars with alternative energies and they're putting stations in and, and you're going to wind up getting 200 miles to a gallon of fuel for, you know, which, and, and, and the combustible engine, there was a guy, and this is a true story, the guy was an engineer for, I think, Chrysler, and he did a, ma a manual on a manifold that just took in more air because you blow 80% of a gallon of gas out your gas tank, if you, out, out the exhaust, because if you're not you're not getting the right air mixture in there. You should be getting a couple hundred gallons to a couple hundred miles to a gallon of gas if you were if you were mixing it right with the air. And when this guy put this manual out, they killed him and the manual disappeared. Well yeah, we gotta keep buying gas. You know I mean? Two hundred miles to the gallon, we wouldn't be buying a lot of gas. And, well then you wouldn't have the smog that we got and you wouldn't have the pollution that we have. And there wouldn't be as much crude oil digging. It would be, there was a lot, there would be a, a very big ripple effect. Without a doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt. There's much cleaner energy that's out there. And there yes, there is. And, you know, Tesla started it and it's, it, they're, they're picking it up. It's there. It's been there. They, they've got solar energy. They've got molecular energy. It's just, it's, it's all coming have cars running on stuff, but you're going to have cars that will drive themselves pretty soon. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to pay for an Uber. I can go home from the bar, and it could just drive me home, and I home, will be okay. Boom, boom. Just push a few buttons. Damn, yep. damn, thank you, man. I can just sit in the back seat of the car, take me home. I've had too many, and it'll just drive me home. <laughs> and you got That's a wrap. <laughs> That's it, Jack. Then you go on, your DUIs are getting loose. Oh, my God. <laughs> He'll find another reason to lock you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jack, I, we appreciate your time and sitting down with us and, and talking to us, and we don't want to keep you up any any longer. You, you've lived a fascinating life. Do you want to go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you, plug anything you've got coming up, uh, anything where we can find out more more about you and your yeah, crazy life? Just Google me. That's clout. Just Google me. <laughs> yeah. That's what you know you hate it. Anymore, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, Just thank you, sir. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, it's my pleasure, guys. Listen, you you know, all he's in Phoenix. Every one of you is in Phoenix. Yep, we're all in Phoenix. Yep. yep. Wow, God bless you. Did you like it over there? Arizona? It's hot. It's hot. I'll tell you a funny story. I'll tell you a funny story. 
Uh-huh. I was going to San Diego one time, and I'm flying from Boston, yeah? So they didn't have direct flights then. You had to stop in Phoenix. And then you went from Phoenix to San Diego. Mm-hmm. And the plane stopped, and we had like an hour or so layover. So I was walking out through the thing, and the, you know those big glass doors in the front of the airport over there? Yep. I remember I'm walking out, and I was going to take a walk outside. They opened up the doors, and this hot air came in. I said, holy shit, man. Like, Take your breath away. I said, whoa, brother. Yeah. I said, I walked back inside. Turn around <laughs> around, right back in. Man, but, it, but it's, you know, it's, it's dry climate over there, so it's not too bad. No, it's still miserable. It's still miserable, yeah. It's miserable. <laughs> We're all a bunch of morons for living here. California's <laughs> a place to be, son. You know? I mean, the quickest I can get down to Nevada, once that place is done, the better. You know, that's how I look you know, at it. Gonna, have, that's going to be a great store, boy. And it'll be a jobs for a lot of people, but technology-wise, shit, forget about it. I'm taking that driverless car straight there, so I'll stay tuned. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a kick, man. I mean, That's you, how my buddy Jack invited me. You got listen, you just <laughs> yeah. hold me, man. We got we on twenty five thousand jobs. In fact, I did a deal with the university; they gave us the land because imagine having all the college graduates from all this, the, the all the um, classes that pertain to an entertainment industry. All these guys, I got a deal for them for the unions that while they're in college. Every hour they intern on the set, they get it goes towards their hours in the union. Nice. So by the time they graduate, they're union members. That is you know cool. What I'm yeah, Which for the union is great because they're college educated kids making six digits a year. So, how can you go wrong? So, it's yeah. good to be all the way across the board. Sign me up, gotta get down Big there. University. <laughs> you know, it's good. Yes, sir. We have a lot of fun. Definitely. Looking forward if to seeing it. Why not do it? You know what I mean? Exactly. Shit. All right. You guys have a great night, man. Thank you. you have a good night. You Anytime so you want to play, just let me know. Absolutely. Oh, we We're, we'll definitely have you back on. This is the audience likes the show. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Take care. Thank right, you. guys. Be well. Yeah, have a good night. Oh, get out of here. They won't let me out. No, man. No, no, no. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Oh, man. Ladies and gentlemen, Jack O'Holloran, what an interview. What a great guy. And like Corbin said, man, he's lived an amazing life, like nine people's lives, man. Dude, I was starstruck all the way to the end of that. Yeah. That was, I was the, I've never been that quiet in my fucking life. Dude, that's why I was like, man, the, the chat's being quiet. Everyone's being quiet. And like, Dude, I think everybody was just so in yeah. tune to him because I swear to God, our life sucked. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Out. I'm like, God damn, my life is trash compared yeah. to his. I was, this motherfucker's rocky. <laughs> Dude, between that, that and Muhammad he, Ali stories, yeah, punk you know. Christopher Reeves, like... <laughs> He was going to be a prof- professional football player. Didn't do that. Went Dude, to be a boxer. Two people walking in front of him with magic glitter. <laughs> right. And everything he did was just, it just fucking came together. Fought George Foreman. Was going to fight Ali. Went on to, yeah, punk out Christopher Reeves. I what, mean, yeah. yeah. Make Superman 2. Do movies with Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd and... You know, such an awesome movie. So many actors did the Flintstones. 
God, such a cool man. guy. Such a cool guy. Great personality and like like warm and like, it was yeah, he was that was cool. I mean, you hear it heard it here. Jimmy Hoff is not dead. He's just everywhere. You know? <laughs> you know, I had I've had that that notion and that thought for a long time. <laughs> He's not in one place. I you know, they what they He's probably did is they're in this little two-seater plane, man, at about like skydiving level, man, and someone's just like, oops. Right, and like, I mean, just think of if, if Geraldo, if he would have released his book a few years earlier, Geraldo would have saved himself from looking like an idiot, huh? Right, blowing up Jim, yeah. opening Jimmy Hoffa's safe and vault, and man, what a what an amazing guy! Talk about like you know how a lot of actors and a lot of people would say it's the right place at the right time. That yeah. is at every right place, and you know, one person that happens usually happens to people once, right. Jack's like, you know what? I'm at like 15. Fuck you guys. He should, just, he should just bottle his sweat and let people spray it on him just to get that that I, good luck. You know? I, dude, I want to just like rub next to him and hopefully some <laughs> of that comes off on me and like, holy shit. Like I was I was I was mesmerized by it and I'm watching the chat I'm like nobody's saying anything. I don't know what's going on. Then Michael No, nobody asked questions. Yeah, so Michael Stout is like asked a couple, but Michael Stout's like, I'm fucking loving this interview. And I'm like, that's awesome, man. That's so awesome. Like, what a dude, life. You dude. Know, Fuck. It, it was cool, man, because you know, like I thought he was just gonna come on for 20 minutes. Wham bam. Thank you, man. Yeah. And he was like, Fuck that. I am gonna sit here and I am gonna spread. It's a motherfucking knowledge. Hold courts. Brian missed the best part. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, yeah. Hemp, the whole hemp weed discussion. Yeah. Brian wasn't here. He would have loved it. Dude, he that's what happens when you have to go do another show. Right. He dude, that would have been it for him, dude. We'd still be talking about weed with Jack right now. If, if Brian, Brian was here, he would be on until three o'clock in the morning <laughs> talking about weed and cultivating weed. And wow, just so much from his history, man. And I hope he makes an audio book and he's the one who reads it. Yeah, yeah, or all the interviews you can get because that was that Jack, was. I will do it for you, or at least somebody approaches him about his <laughs> life, man. Somebody approaches him. <laughs> To make a movie on his life, or he with his own studio makes his own. I mean, he yeah. has a life that's really worthy of it. Like, I mean, like I don't know. Me and Jack are friends now. Yeah, you guys are buddies. Oh, you, you even, I mean, you even said he was like, "I'll be like my buddy Jack sent me," and he said, "Man, hit me up." So, dude, I'm. You guys are pals now. He You're, doesn't understand that I am going to call that card, <laughs> Jack. And like, Jack, Jack, there's clearly you. This clearly guy, you can tell he clearly has no fucks to give because he's sitting here dropping all of this, laying it on the line to yeah. us, and it, he he What's doesn't care. Yeah, he's it's, like nobody's you know, coming after me, nobody's touching me. I'm on motherfucking touchable, right? Fucking thousand Superman two. Who's gonna fuck with me? Right? He was none. He's none, man. He's gonna. Dude, all I know is it's. it's He's going to outlast your cellophane S. I want to watch, dude, every time I watch that movie, I laugh at that part when Superman just out of nowhere takes the S off and throws it 
and they, then they start teleporting around and I'm just like I, I have to know if this guy was just like what the fuck is he talking about what what who crack pipe idea is this oh man that was good that was just wow. single-handedly the best interview we've ever done yeah yeah and we didn't actually interview him we just, said, just hey Jack just talk yeah, he ball, just came in. Go. He just came in and he he told us his story, man. That's he was setting records straight. He was putting not his down. first rodeo. Yeah, no, he should be on like every three weeks. <laughs> A story by Jack. He comes on. He tells one story. He entertains us. We fucking we sit here and fangirl out, and then he just leaves. That was cool. And he just—he doesn't even tell us he's leaving. He just exits. <laughs> he's just out. He's like, doo, 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 doo. he doesn't have to fucking tell us he's leaving. He goes as soon as he feels like he's done with his story. Motherfucker gone. That is my coolest motherfucker. That was—he was sick. He was really sick. Yeah. That was—that was a pleasure. Brian's gonna come back, and I'm gonna be like, "Fucking Brian, you missed the whole week discussion." Sucker, <laughs> go do your hot ten. Right, you missed. You missed all the good stuff. Wow, wow. Yeah. And the odd thing is, we have another interview next week. Yes, we do. Well, can't say it's going to surpass it, but I mean, well, no, guys, nobody, no, nobody's going to exceed Jack. He, well, this is everybody. This is Jack. We've got some. Yes, we've got some good interviews. Lined up, and we've well, had, that's we've, exactly what we want to bring Jack back every three weeks. <laughs> Kyle definitely made a new friend, huh? Dude, I mean, like, I mean, not only did we get like a history lesson and and stuff that's that we all know about. It, I mean, it's not like he was some of this. I mean, there was there was tidbits and stuff in there that that you got to hear because of personal experience, but they were experiences that. The country, the world, it's it's there. Like everybody knew it was happening. And he we got to hear his insight from him being kind of in that inner circle. Right. On the ground there. It's just it's just kind of cool. Like you don't get to hear it first person very often. Exactly. Wow. It's so cool. Wow. I mean, we do have we have two interviews that haven't dropped yet. Um we've done interviews all week. Uh Brian did a fantastic interview. Uh, yesterday with uh, Larry Hankin that's going to come out. I can't wait to see that one. Uh, that it's one's going to be... be better than Jack, though. No, but I mean, they're they're on par. They're on no. par, man. I'm telling you, Larry, the Larry interview was fascinating as well. It might be an 80 and 81. <laughs> How did you get 15, dude? I don't give a fuck <laughs> what you say. I mean, I, I, I get you. He was he was a great personality. That was the best one I've, Dude, I had the pleasure of being on while I was here. Dude, that it's it's you know, and Greg Gregory Schoen, you're an awesome interview too. But sorry, you've been <laughs> replaced. I think he, I think he would agree though. We have um, love Ray Gun and Rascals. We also did an interview with uh, actor, director, and retired school teacher. Bill Foster, that's going to come out. Uh, we just got to edit those up, but we've got some great interviews coming for you he guys too. Fear the Walking Dead, right? Yep, he was on. He was in. A, he was on Fear the Walking so did Dead. Did you talk to him about his uncredited scene? And uh, I did talk to him about Alita: Battle Angel. Yes. Ah. So awesome. 
I wanted to. I wish I could have been in that interview because there were so many questions I would have asked them about that movie. Like, I love that movie for so, there's something about that movie, and he's probably in it for like seconds. Yeah, but he's a homeless guy. He's an extra. And, and, but th- that movie, there's something that's so fucking cool about that movie. It'd just be cool to hear. I don't know. It's cool that like I'm not a big person that likes to watch. You know, like when you watch a movie and then you watch the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big person that likes to watch that on DVDs. But hearing it, like hearing Jack talk about it, it was just you got to see it in a view that was like, I don't know. It's it's it made it interesting. Like watching it behind the scenes on a on a on a DVD, it's 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 not that great, but just, I don't know. He's a good storyteller, is probably what it is. Yeah, and he has it's, it's storytelling, and also the the industry no the no. Whose mic is muted? Mine. It's not mine. Oh. It was mine. Okay, well, the, the industry know how, and also the the background to give it. So you can tell a good story, but you also can back that up with the experience and knowing what you're talking about. That I think only highlighted and made it even better. Um, I, I don't know. We so, didn't even no. get into lady friends with him. No, we sausage partied the shit out of that. <laughs> hey, we need to get him back on, and it's 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 going to be only a lady friend episode. All right, is that enough content for just that? I bet you there is. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I I'll just ask him a question. I don't know, but uh, I bet you, I bet you he's had he's. He's got some Putin, Annie. <laughs> you want to ask him about his lady friends, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, I'm sure there's tons of them. I'm sure he was he was swimming in it when he was, you know, because of his background and all. I just, when he said, yeah, so nonchalantly, like it wasn't a big deal. So that's just a little pick my brain. It's about me. Eh. <laughs> yeah, what? Right? What? <laughs> It reminds me of that um, Mad Cloud, bro. It reminds me of um, what's his name that made uh, Hostel. Uh huh. That's how he wrote Hostel. Was he was he was an extra on the set doing something, and that's when he wrote Hostel. Mm -hmm. And so, like Sylvester Stallone, he wasn't part of the movie. He didn't say he was part of the movie. He just he was just there. Yeah. No, well, Sylvester Stallone was in that movie. No, he was talking like he wasn't in the movie. No, he was in that movie, and he was saying that afterwards he was just picking his brain about Philadelphia and locations and his boxing career and and all that. Well, he got where Sylvester Stallone got it wrong was that is not how Jack talks. No. (laughs) So he put his own little fucking spin on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's about me. I hope Sylvester Stallone gave you some goddamn money. <laughs> right? Hopefully, at least he got like a 50 spot out of it. He, he gets some kind of <laughs> kickback for it. Something. Like under the table, it's something. About me, but I'm I'm not sure. gonna, I, he had to have because he's not pissed about it. Yeah. And you he doesn't seem like the time to get pissed by a lot, though. He let a lot of stuff. It seemed like, oh, water under the bridge. You know what I mean? But I'm sure he's in the credits or something. He's like, you know, he's just like, yeah, no, there's no. Bro, there's no, uh, there, there's no doubt about it. I'm, I'm Rocky. I'm Rocky. Like, that's about my life. Fuck off, I'm Rocky. 
I, uh, excuse me? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I was just, like, he caught me so off guard when he said, yeah, that's about me. I, like, uh, 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 in my brain, I was like, I know I should totally ask a question about that. I'm just going to keep listening. But yeah, like Kyle said, we have a, a great interview coming up next week. We have uh, John Pierre Giginoli joining us. He is in uh, the Ford versus Ferrari. Um, he's a, an actor, Brian, rapper, comedian, and interview. Oh, we were talking about hemp and weed and weed legalization and oh. all that. Because he said a lot of his studio, he's building out of hemp. Oh, because it's, look at that it's, face light up. Ooh. Dude, you missed it, man. That's what you get for doing the top 10, dude. I'm telling you. Well, hopefully uh, a lot of people that were watching the top 10 will will check out the show. Um, I, uh, I, I took a clip of our uh, thumbnail and threw it up there on the screen, made sure everybody told everybody to come check it out. So hopefully uh, th that's an interview they don't want to miss because just for the first half of that interview. It was oh, fire. dude, he talked to us about his uh, relationship with Jimmy Hoffa. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Jimmy, he told us Jimmy Hoffa's not in one spot, and I called it. I called it. Oh yeah, they 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 chopped him up and they put him everywhere. Yeah, he's in peace places. Yeah, bunch of places. Yeah, Christopher Reeves. That was my favorite. Yeah, it was I good. Saw, I heard that one. That was great. That was some good stuff. And the yeah. fact that he he said that they were responsible for the the plane crash that killed John F. Kennedy Jr. Like that's so crazy, dude. <laughs> I love he that. Shit. He, he said he'll come on anytime. Yeah, dude. Brian, oh, him and Kyle are buddies now. Him and Kyle are best friends. I, I, I let him know because I was like, hey, when that's, that thing in Vegas is done, dude, I'm going to go there and I'm going to say, my buddy Jack. He's like, come on up. He's like, hit me up. <laughs> Call me up. He's ready to that's go. Awesome. That's great. Again, dude, another building it out of hemp, man. That's two days in a row. What was going to be a, a 30 minute interview turned into an hour and a half interview. So, you know, exciting stuff. Dude, should we do the fuck the hot ten? That we just keep talking about Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing as cool as Jack. Dude, he just, he just you know he's just a smooth motherfucker. He's dude, just he like, is. oh, you want to hear about boxing? Okay. Oh, dude, you know Rocky you were talking about game. like the 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 women thing. You know he crushed some poon, man. Dude, oh yeah. Next episode is about him <laughs> crushing vagina. That is. No offense, and no women out there that are listening to us, but we need to hear about his cock. <laughs> I'm fucking sorry, but I want to know cocktails, man. Who he inserted himself into? <laughs> I'm, I'm betting. I'm betting right now, Marilyn Monroe. Just, just the way his life is, and everything is so crazy, Marilyn. And I bet you he nailed it before Kennedy did. Sharon Tate. Uh, Sharon Tate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go, dude. Just. Man, fun stuff. Yeah, what a life, dude. Like Corbin said, yeah, man, Sloan picked my brain. And yeah. Rocky's about me. Yeah, that, that rumor that Rocky's, oh, a, so yeah, awesome. that, that little rumor that Rocky's, like, that's not a rumor. Rocky's about me. Just, yeah, it's about me. It's so nonchalant, dude. Just so badass, stone cold, man. What a good, what a cool dude. What a life. Yeah, I'm gonna build my studio out of hemp. I love it, man. Just all, man, I can't wait to see all the other like hear about all the other stuff he's he's got in the inside track on. I'm telling you, man, that I I guarantee you, we just did the iceberg, the tip of the oh, iceberg. I think so. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. 
So who are we doing for Ford versus Ferrari? What did he do in that movie? He was in uh, Ford versus Ferrari. His name is John Pierre Giginoli. I'm probably killing that last name. But um, he's coming on next week. He's an actor, a rapper, a comedian, an impressionist, a DJ, and a paranormal investigator. So we'll have some fun. Are you fucking serious? Yep. So we'll have some fun next week, too. This is going to be so awesome. My top jack. Yeah, I am gonna tell. I cannot wait. Oh, let's to drop, drop some bars. Investigating his stories with him. So very cool. And like I said, we uh, Brian did a killer interview again with Larry Hankin yesterday that we're gonna we're gonna edit up and and put out. Um, that was fantastic. That was so long; it's gonna be by itself. Yep, and it was it was honestly so good that Larry specifically asked us to send him a raw copy, uncut. Because he said he's never been asked those questions before. So, what did you like? What is one thing that you asked him, then, Brian? I just talked to him about growing up and shit. Yeah, yeah. Just the same shit that you talked about, Jack. I mean, I always think it's fascinating. Baby arm with an apple and holding on to it. (laughs) No, he told cool stories about Larry David, and he told cool stories about uh, Vince Gilligan and Breaking Bad, and he told cool stories about him growing up. If you have any aspects of trying to act or, you know, enjoy learning about acting and stuff like that or directing, filmmaking at all, this is going to be a, a cool a cool interview for you because he, he definitely talks about what it's like being an actor and, and, you know, being on set and stuff like that. So I was looking over his IMDb today because I was talking to one of my coworkers about it. And I was like, this dude's got it figured out. He is in everything a couple times. Yeah. Everything. Everything. Wait, from he, CSI when, to fucking Friends. To, to Friends to Seinfeld. Billy like, Madison. He was the original Kramer. Yep. Well, here's the crazy thing is that he was on Friends for five episodes. He didn't yeah. talk about this in the interview. He was, he was on Friends. Guy. He was on Friends for five episodes. Mr. You have to be on six to get residual back-end oh, payment. that's fucked. And could you imagine having residual back-end payment on Friends? Wow. Oh, dude, he'd be in the money. Oh. In the money. One episode away. He, and uh, what else was he? He was in, like... Breaking Bad. Dude, uh, Mr. Belvedere, he was, in, he was an elf. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dude, he was in, like... Um, Planes, trains, and automobiles. He was, dude. I was like, this motherfucker was in everything, dude. He's and he did, dude. How cool would that be, though? You're not locking yourself down, but you just you're you're making a good chunk of change, and you're just fucking popping in and out of shit, dude. Like, tell me how that's not fucking cool. You're just popping in and out of shit, doing your thing. I mean, Billy Madison. Fucking break it bad. Dude, yeah, and he worked with all every comedian, the who's who, the biggest comedians of the 80s and 90s he was in movies with. Yeah. He talks about uh being on the road with Miles Davis. Yep. Really? Miles Davis. He what talks stories great. about about Miles Davis hanging out with the Kennedys. And while well, I'm not gonna I won't I won't ruin it. We should yeah. talk to Jack and ask Jack about it. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. call him up, call up your new best friend Jack. <laughs> Man, anybody who's tuning in now, if you guys did not catch our Jack O'Holler interview, you need to stop here, go back and rewatch because that was a crazy interview. What a great guest. Um, I I can't wait to talk to him again because there's there's so much to talk to him about. 
but vagina. Yeah, Kyle wants to know. Vagina, vagina, vagina. Kyle needs a list of all the poon he's crushed. Mm. He wants names, dates, black books. Kyle wants it all. He's my new best friend. There is. He's the fucking coolest motherfucker. He's, he's Do we even so make cool. a show? Like, whatever we have to talk about after this is trash, dude. I mean, we can talk about Michael Keaton coming back as Batman. I know Corbin's excited about that. He's talking about that. <laughs> Corbin, Corbin does. Back and listen to Grizzled Geek, dude. And then you got all you got all the fucking facts about that. Who gives a fuck at this point? I mean, Ezra, Ezra I Miller come back as the Flash to choke I, some people out. At this point, who fucking <laughs> Grizzled Geek talked about it? You're good. I still do care. Well, you can go care with another fucking podcast. You, fuck- oh, <laughs> you too, Kyle. Um, you too. Oh, oh my god! That wasn't no. me this time. That no, wasn't me Kyle this time. This time. <laughs> Hand, hands up! No, that wasn't me hey, this time. Brian, did you guys talk about? You guys talked about it on Monday on the fucking on on flip side. What? Michael Keaton, all that. Like everybody's thought. But did you get to hear these badass stories for Jack? Fuck no. Who gives a shit about that? Go listen to so some we should end the show now, because Jack's gone, right? Is that what you're saying? You <laughs> just had a badass two hours podcast of fucking awesome shit. Yeah. Fuck. I, I, I guess the, that's it for tonight. Comic book resources. Read the article about Batman being Michael Keaton again. Who gives a fuck, dude? Kevin Smith's going to let his fans vote on the name for Mallrats if you give a shit about that. Mallrats, too. I hope you know what I hope they call it. I hope it's called "You in fact are the ball lickers." <laughs> That's what I want to call it. You know what makes me? No, mad I wanted to be called uh, in honor of Jack. I wanted to be called "Come, Son of Jarrell, Kneel Before Zod, Snoochie Boochies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the only problem with mall rats that I have is that it's just too late to me for me. Like the whole like I want to see uh, Joey Lauren Adams hot again. Like she's not going to be hot again, yeah, right? Yeah, we're not going to see her hot changing in the fucking dressing room. And fucking- Dude, when that movie came out, when Mallrats came out, I was so geeked because I, well, I don't know if it was, which came out first, Days of Confused or Mallrats? Had to be Days of Confused, right? I think Days of Confused, yeah. I think it's I remember, I remember seeing previews or uh, seeing Mallrats for the first time and being like, that's the chick from Days of Confused, holy shit, because she was so hot in Days of Confused. It's unreal. Right. I mean, it is confused. Came out in ninety. I'm so happy Michael Keaton's gonna be Batman again. Yeah, uh, Days of Confused came out in ninety three. Mallrats came out in ninety five. Okay. Hey, if Jack O'Haran's not in Mallrats, I don't give a fuck about it either. So. Oh, <laughs> you got Courtney <laughs> dropping f bomb! <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, Kyle's rubbing off on me. I'm, I'm all my excitement is dwindled. What is life? If you ain't point, who gives a fuck about that movie? I mean, it's, I guess we just see the hot ten and go home. Let's Who are you it. giving the gun to, Matt? Who Mr. the fuck are you giving the gun? Mr. Kellen McCall. Bring him over here. I just went outside with the dog. <laughs> he went to go do what Brian's doing right now, just not in the house. <laughs> I like that. Matt's commands, respect. Gives That's right. <laughs> All right, let's hit the hot ten and then close the show because I don't think any Kyle's right none of this news I mean, Elizabeth Banks talk about Flashpoint yeah let's talk about yeah let's talk about it real quick I mean my excitement's gone now so my, my problem with it is is who cares with Flashpoint Batman Beyond 
Fuck Flashpoint, Batman no, Beyond. I, like we've said a lot of time, we need Flashpoint because what this is going to do, it, if DC works this right, they can finally get something right and they can use Flashpoint to reset and to start things in a good direction. Yes. But he's apparently so signed. In the same breath, it should be Flashpoint. They apparently want him to sign a five-picture deal, and he's going to be like the Nick Fury of the DC Universe. Eh, I mean, uh, is he's not going to be Batman? He's he's gonna be he's gonna be Bruce Wayne. Nobody's they haven't confirmed him as coming back and being in the bat suit. He's gonna be Bruce Wayne. That's much as for sure. But we're gonna we'll find out probably a lot more at the Comic Con from home when they do San Diego Comic Con from home. My God. So which I hope we don't find out shit. I wanna know I wanna go to the Walking Dead panel. I wanna go to the Walking Dead panel. And I want to go to a virgin walking dead pill. Hey, oh, do but Je- Jeffrey Dean Morgan's going to be there. And I want to know if he's going to come back as Thomas Wayne. I want to know if he's going to play Thomas Wayne in flashpoint. I'm Jerry tuning in. He will. What's going on with walking dead right now? It's going to happen. It's on, it's on hiatus because of Rona. They haven't even shown the last episode of the last season yet. Cause of Rona. They've already said that Jeffrey Dean Morgan isn't going to play that. Yeah, and they said that he would never. Uh, they said that uh, Michael Keaton never come back as Batman. So and boom, there he is. <laughs> Ezra Miller, his new line in in Flashpoint needs to be: "I I've never saved anyone before. I just kind of choked them and ran away." That's that's what it is now. Wow, <laughs> wow, that fell flat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you did not come up with that yourself. I did. <laughs> Holy oh. shit, dude. <laughs> like, having none of it tonight. Damn, yeah, dude. After Jack, we're all just yeah. lowly beast of burden. <laughs> like, why are we, yeah. We're try not fit to, to speak to him right now. Matt, try to set us up for that again. Hold on. No, I can't. Very in tune now. I got nothing, bro. You killed it already. On, dude. You Do have it. killed my oh. spirits. Yeah. You yeah, killed my spirits. You just dashed him left and right. I'm gonna choke a bitch. <laughs> I just, I'll never do stand-up comedy because I just bombed on my own podcast. Oh, oh, yeah. That he made yeah. sure that landed flat. I mean, it wasn't. It landed flat, but I wasn't gonna do that. But then he just landed there. <laughs> like, you you could just let me there and suffer. You just have to fucking just I mean, pile I'm on, huh? The replay will show that I gave it a chuckle, but then Kyle just threw that against the wall. It's like it's like I just wow. hit my, got hit with a car, and Kyle just kind of walked up and poked me with a stick instead of helping me out. Wow. Nobody cares that they wanted <laughs> Seth Rogen to play Scott Pilgrim instead of Michael Sarah. Nobody cares that That's crazy weird. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked. Nobody no. cares that Elizabeth yeah, Banks is gonna be Miss Frizzle in the Magic School Bus movie. Who cares? Nobody I cares mean I that. mean it's cool, I guess. Um is it, with all the Me I, Too stuff going on, or the, I, I don't know the Speak Out stuff that's going on. They Jake want there's a petition going on asking the FBI to investigate Brian Singer's allegations. You know what they should they should speak out about? Choke a bitch! Oh my god! Fuck you! <laughs> Do, big time <laughs> Twitch streamer Doctor Disrespect got uh, banned from Twitch today, and nobody nobody knows why. 
Twitch no is, shit. Yep. Wait, who who is he? Dr. I've never he's heard of him. sexual allegations. He's like right? one of the biggest to... Twitch streamers next to Ninja and all them. Oh, I don't And he's like a character. He's yeah. a character. Okay. Buddy I work with, he's like, what the fuck is Twitch? <laughs> like I Twitch just now, you know, but that's about it. Uh, where you go watch <laughs> other people play video games. Yep, choke Ah, uh, gotcha. <laughs> I twitched on that joke. There you go. We should have asked Jack who he thinks the best Superman is. I bet you he said. I bet you he doesn't say it's he Reeves. Said it was Chris Reeves. Yes, he did. He? And he even said he even explained yeah. why he played his role, and you went back and asked him again. <laughs> so he had to explain it again. But I think a follow-up <laughs> question would be like, 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 Matt, we've already he's already went into great detail about. Then you asked him again about <laughs> what? Whoa. What? When did I do that? He went into great detail earlier about why he played that character and what that character meant to him. Oh, and he yeah. went and says, you went, so, what is your inspiration to playing that character, Jack? Well, because well, I wanted to know. No. Let, me, let me explain it one more time. I want to know if there was something deeper than just the, the fact. I want to know if it was because he was intrigued by the fact that he could be more that he could bring more improv to it i was trying to get more out of that question than re-asking the same question but apparently failed deep into why he played that character i mean he to me, to me, to me, to me, just i don't do this often but in defense of matt jack had a way of answering a question and then <laughs> answering three or four more questions in part and so there was a chance to go back there and try to flesh out one of those answers that he partially covered. Yeah. I think that's Matt was attempting to do. Thank you, Corbin. Thank, I agree 100% with Corbin. Thank you, Corbin. I, 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 there we go. Like an idiot. 110% <laughs> well, Corbin. Because like, he did, I had the same thing with this. Corbin, sequence. you're 100% right. That's right. No, I, that, I'll take it. That's a first for me. Okay, but yeah, also, right. like, you're right, Corbin. I just had an idea right. for, for Jack. Next time, you know what? <laughs> Stop it today. <laughs> but no, you know what I'm going to ask Jack. Next we have time to do on and you say, When you were in Superman you, 2, what was your inspiration? Hmm? Hold on. I want to know like, do you have any great back issues in that fucking huge box you have picked up this week? I mean, there's got to be, if you have back issues in there from March, there's got to be some that are like worth money now that you can sell. Did you see how much of your Miles book 9.8 just recently sold for? Yeah, I just yeah. saw book. I saw that today. Uh, what did I tell you? What did I say? Put it up there for 1200 and just see what happens. And one just sold for 900 today. I know. Yep. I, was, Plus, I, was, I was that drawn today. I said, drawn to comics. Support your local comic book shop. I went there and I had my $140 comic book fucking pull list because I hadn't been there because I hadn't been there since March 17th. Well, like when I was talking to them about it, I was like, okay, that was the beginning of COVID. What the fuck is going on? We're on lockdown. You know what? When it gets warm, it's going to go away. So I'll just wait it out. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to do my part. And then they stopped, you know, um, Diamond stopped sending books out. So I was like, okay, what's the point of going until I can get all my books? So then I'm like, oh, Corbin on Spinnerack, maybe you want to go get my books. Fuck, I got to wait two more weeks to get my books. So here I am, fucking 
June 26th. I hadn't picked up my books. It's March 17th. And then when I was going through them, I felt like usually I go through and I'll put a couple back that stuff that I just, for some reason, I never bothered to take off my pull list. And uh, I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. They held it that long. They're like, you know, we can stop at a dollar amount. And I was like, I, I'm the dumbass that hasn't picked it up since March. Yeah. Great point. Great it's fucking point right there. Yes. For anybody out there that does that all the time, fuck you and, and fuck your mother. Okay? <laughs> fuck you and fuck your mother because that is the type of shit that puts fucking comic books out of shops out of business. So I was like, you know what? I, I, you know what? These are the books that I asked you to put aside for me. You put them aside for me. I was dumb and I waited months, months to come and get them. You know what? I'm just going to get them. Dude, I do. I have kick-ass books in there. Kick-ass books. I mean, dude, I, I, I'm telling you, I had a stack of this of books. And, I, and she, when I went, I, like, I hadn't been there so long. She's like, what's, what's your box number? And I was like, honestly, I have no idea. I can't remember. It's been so long. Save my life. So she actually had, to, and she couldn't remember either. So, you know, you know, Susan was like, uh, um, so they actually had to look it up because nobody remembered my box number because it had been so long. And then she fucking goes, here you go. <laughs> and I was like, and my eyes got real big. And I had my mask on because, you know, you have to, you know, here you got to wear a mask. And then there so they had their thing. Part of what they ask is, please come in wearing a mask. So, and I was like, you don't even need to see my mouth to understand what my face looks like right now with all those books. Because I was like, fuck. And they were cool. They're like, we understand, you know, if you want to stop at a certain amount. And I was like, no, because that's not fair. That's, yeah. That's my, I, I shouldn't, I should, I should come in and I should get my books more. I usually do. I usually go every two weeks. That was my normal thing. But, you know, working from home and stuff, I don't really leave the house a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> you got to really a small radius, yeah. The only time I leave the house and get my exercises, I walk across the street to the mailbox and I get my mail and I walk back and I go, fuck, it's hot outside. And I walk back inside. <laughs> and that's it. So, yeah, shout out to everybody out there. All the comic book stores, if you're not picking up your books and you were a fucking asswipe like I was and waited months, do the right thing. Go clean your boxes out. Do the right thing. Support your local comic book store. You ask for those books to be held. Go buy them. If there's books on there that you don't want anymore, tell them you don't want them anymore so that they don't have to order it for no reason. See, and to go back to your point, though, that's why I like having Brian do the interviews. He's a fucking way better interviewer than I am. It's a skill. It's I, it is. I write questions. You and I, what was your shut your mouth for the fifth time? Please explain <laughs> that question for the fifth time. No, I'm not gonna lie. Like Matt does a serviceable job, but the way Brian is able to like dig deep and like mix it up. Even I was like, I thought I had some decent questions, and I looked at Brian asked like four questions. I looked at my thing and I said, "Nope, we're not doing." That. I'm asking like that's, what, that's what happened. I had this list of questions for Larry yesterday that I was like. Brian said, "I, you know, I didn't really, Brian really said, sure who he was, said, so I did it up." Brian said, and, "He said, Matt, you have questions." Yeah, 
That's, that's exactly what happened. Brian looked at him. And he he took one question off of it and he fucking rolled. And and like I get so I make questions. I get so worried that I'm you know Can I'm listening to something? him, but I get yeah. stuck up on want to make sure to ask the question. No, I know. Little Mac had guys, messaged me. I'm gonna let you guys into something that uh, might hurt me in the future. I have never, not once, in any interview I've ever done, researched a person or thought of questions beforehand yeah but talking to a, per talking wow. to a person, my, you know, larry was talking about this in his interview he says every one of us has like some weird superpower one of my weird superpowers is i can just interview people yeah because i read like 14 different things on o'halloran and then every time Kane, i'm just like wow but you oh. know what though i get wow. I, even with both interviews jack and the dude you did brian they were expecting the same seven lame fucking questions that they always get. So, what was your inspiration for playing that character in Superman? Fuck me, dude. Never living it down. Someone brought up the Felicia Day interview, and I I realized I've done this, but like I get I hear I hear him I hear him answer the question. But then I ask the question, next question because it's on the list. I'm like, fuck, I, I don't know what else See, to say. That, I want to hit these what questions. Brian does is Brian, it's it's more of a natural interview. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like uh, the people that like uh, when they notice the mole and they don't say mole, don't say mole. <laughs> moly, moly, moly. Exactly, moly, moly, exactly moly, moly, what. Holy moly! Batman. I got this list of questions, and like Corbin <laughs> said, he's answering my next question within a question. He's answering my yeah. next question in his answer to a different question, and I'm just like, fuck. That's where you need to learn to adapt. I know. Yeah. You need to learn to okay. Let's. He's talking about this. Let's roll with this thing because yeah. you could tell he. So like when he started talking about his family and he started talking about the sixties, Brian was just like, okay. He took what Brian took, what he knew about mm -hmm. conspiracy theories and shit and stuff that we've heard our whole lives. And he said, what about this? And Jack is like, well, that was bullshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was stuff that we all knew about. It's stuff that we've heard a million times. And you know what? If that's what, you know, and that's where Howard Stern's an awesome. I never interview. knew Kennedy had syphilis. That's just that's just me. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that dude was, was a player. Everybody's mother. Good for him. Probably his own. But no, it just yeah, and and that's where Brian is really awesome. Is is we all have our superpowers. Mine's, I'm still yet to figure out mine out. Mine is. You know what your superpower is, Matt? Oh my god, I don't even want to fucking hear it. <laughs> right, don't let them tell you different, Matt. It's the spinner rack. I don't um, even want to hear it, Kyle. I want to. Uh, I want to give a big. Uh, I see uh, Isvan's in in the ch in the chat. Big Isvan! shout out to him. Yeah, uh, uh, love that dude. Um, get, we, might be back. we might be getting some hockey back. But I I don't see it happening, and I really don't care now that uh, our favorite player has has Lebrona, uh, Austin Matthews, local local stud uh, came out. He has the Rona, so I don't know if I care about hockey that much basketball anymore. Basketball coming back, yeah, yeah. basketball coming back. This time next month, uh, huh? Oh, I, you know what? Here's the problem, though. I don't think anything's coming back. I think that we're gonna get another little, uh, you know, come up of the of the Corona shit. And it's gonna just throw a fucking wrench in all of that. Wear your mask. Yeah. Yep. 
I like it. Do you wear that thing? No, I don't. <laughs> wow. I had, you I had have Tim, to, dude. I had Tim You're going to get a $250 me. fine. No, I wear a different – I wear a um, – so on Walking Dead Day, and I've gotten complimented on it like 10 times. On Walking Dead Day last year, they gave out bandanas that have a zombie face on them with the eye holes cut out. So I wear that. I wear it over my my face and, and stuff. And I was in bashes on Father's Day getting something for my dad. And some old woman stops me and she goes, that's an awesome mask. Where did you get that? And don't tell me you've had it for a long time because I want it. I was like, I've had it for about a year. I got it from a comic shop online. And she was like, I'm going to go look it up. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> but That's something my mom would do. But yeah. Um, have you guys seen, what are those ones that they, people just, it's like hunters usually wear them. They just go around your neck. Yeah. Like, oh, no, the style. Yeah, they're like, uh, they call them something, and you could just pull them up, and they stay up right here, but it goes around your um, whole part. No, I know what you're talking TK, about. Fuck you, dude. Matt um, Superpower is bringing all the boys who like bread to the yard. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that is my superpower. That is, that's the power. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love it! Oh, I'm dead. And I gotta, I gotta find out what those things are called because those things they actually make them like out of like that same material that stays cool. Yeah. So you can throw even you can even put them in like the freezer and shit because it's getting fucking hot out, and that's my problem. When I'm wearing one of those stupid masks, I fucking get hot fast. I start sweating in there and shit. Yeah. And I want, I want the ones that are made of the really nice materials and shit. Chuck wants oh, to know yeah, my if you're going to get vaccinated if you're wearing a mask. I will not be getting a vaccine. Um, uh, if, if, yeah. if they threaten me financially, we'll have to revisit that conversation, Chuck. I, I don't got enough money uh, that they can take. I don't care. Yeah, I don't well, got anything they can take. I, I like to think I have a financial future. You know, I'm just fine. Uh, no. And honestly, I'm more of a cross that bridge when we get to it type thing. Um, but the answer is probably still going to be no. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to say, oh, no, right now. Then you say $500 fine. I'm like, you yeah, know, I just, <laughs> I'd rather spend that money on comic books than getting fined for not wearing a mask. So I'll just put some yeah, over uh, my stupid Yeah, face. if, if, if I to put some over my face, like, I'll put them out, whatever. I'm not losing money over it. I don't believe that strongly about it. And I also don't make enough money to have to fight it. Wow. So I'll show you. So oh, look at this guy over here just showing his clout. Who are you impersonating, Matt? You. And I'm oh. impersonating you, impersonating oh. me. Over a three week span, and then we'll have, then you can compare. Mm. I was just showing this is what, this is what from March to Wednesday looks like. Let's see. Go through the books. I want to see what's in there. You want to see what I got? You're going to do the okay. Kyle 10. Okay, so I have. Thor number three. Okay. Oh, so you got probably the whole Thor running there, huh? Almost. I got Venom 25. Batman Beyond. Which I can't wait to read again because of uh, Jay and Corbin. Dan Jurgens and Sean Shen, my man. Justice League 45. Can't wait to read again because Jane Corbin. Oh, don't be all butthurt, man. Don't be, don't be Jane mad about Corbin. Don't be all mad. Flash 754. Flash yeah. 753. Solid. What's going on? In, you probably have no idea what's going on in Flash right now. No idea. 
Joker's uh, about to dominate everything in the DC. So, yep, across the entire board. Teen Titans, forty-one. Flash, seven fifty-two. Mm. Justice League, forty-four. Outcast, forty-five. Birds of Prey. It's a J. Scott Campbell cover, so that's why I got it. Oh, yeah, that's why, because you got a bunch of $10 bo- big boy books in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Flash 754. You got a bunch of variants in there? That, no, 755. Justice League 46. Got Star uh, Wars Esteban wants to, um, Esteban, should Jurgens take over Superman from Bendis? Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I love Jurgens on Batman Beyond, but Bendis uh, is just so much trash on Superman. That. Nightwing 71, which I'm, because of Spinner Rack, I'm actually excited to start reading again. Thank, look at this. I love when the, yes. Okay, got my cover. Punchline. Joker. Ooh. That's nice. One. How many did you get all the covers? Just one. It looks like it. Joker. Mm, that's, that's a, nice a good guy, one. Dude. That's a fu- that's fucking ten dollars a book there, boy. Uh Dark Knights number one. Whoa. Oh, Dark Knight Metal. Yeah, that Superman cover. Batman ninety-three. That's a good one. Right. Interesting Batman. covers. Batman Beyond 44. Boom, 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 variant. Let's get it. Flash 756. Okay. Yeah, you added it up, man. Justice League 47. I'm, I'm, I have a lot of different books you could tell that I subscribe to, but not really. Yeah. Uh, Rednecks. Redneck. You still read that fucking book? No. He doesn't read half <laughs> those. What are you talking about? I think they, he buys them, is what he's saying. Yeah, I don't know about the reading part. Spawn. Oh, I still didn't, yeah. Uh, Teen Titans 42. Mm. It seemed like uh, Brian got a bunch of books too. Oh, Thor. Thor 5. Flash 750. Who is that? Is that Kellen? Amazing Spider Man yeah, 42. Kellen. Time to come on the show. Detective Comics 10. He's on there. He's on the show. Hey, Kellen. <laughs> and then I've got uh, Batman Beyond 42. There you go. Read all those from Batman. March until Wednesday. Tell him to get a headset and a microphone. Fucking join us. Nah, he's pillaging the he's pillaging the uh, trades we got in the mail. From Whoa. TTO Studios. Oh. Ish, you're right. Flash does feel like it's felt like it's been a weekly title for a while. It seems like it's it's always in Mm-hmm. It's, always it's, always, print. it's always in my poll every time I go to buy my comics. It seems like Flash. But don't get me wrong, I haven't bought comics. It's, I was going to say, if you do it at a rate of once March every four months. Today. Yeah. If you go once every four months, I'd say that the chances are odd that you'll get. You'll I usually get. don't, though. I usually go every two weeks. I usually go every other week. Okay. I feel that's that. Usually, that's usually my norm. That and after this week, bad. after this poll, I'm definitely doing that. What? What, Kellen? No, we can't he's hear not. you, Kellen. <laughs> Brian is not cleaning his gun. Oh. <laughs> he's going through comic books, it looks like. <laughs> is he cleaning? No, I, it is, it has, I, haven't, I don't know if I've seen... Kellen, uh, go in your room. 
Get out your headset and fucking talk with us, asshole. What? I don't what? know if if if, if Wookie's been in the chat yet. Have you guys seen? No, Wookie he has not chat? been here tonight. No, one of our best interviews and fucking Wookie's not even nowhere right? to be found. Wookie, Wookie riding solo. He's probably in the hot ten chat though, wasn't he? I didn't see him. <laughs> he's Kyle, lucky. Kyle's throwing shade. <laughs> All right, so let's, oh my god, <laughs> let's do it. Let's let's see the hot ten as Brian. No, we're gonna look at Brian's books first. Okay, okay let's look on. for Brian's. Let's have clout time. That's what we should call it. There it is, clout time. Sponsored. I don't even know what this shit is. Dude. You just bought like a random collection, or um, I it's shit that I must buy when I get stoned. It's shit I must buy when I get stoned because. Like, there's just boxes and boxes that showed up today, man. Um, wow. <laughs> this is cool. All right. I know about this. A lot of packaging. 9.8 of the uh, first Scotty Young baby cover. This is the first time he ever did the baby cover. Um, I'm buying oh. the shit out of this book. I think that eventually this book is going to catch some heat oh. just because of what it is. And you can buy, I think I paid $20 or $30 for this. I mean, that's, nice. that's less than the cost of grading. Yes. So that was kind of cool. Um, I got, I picked up the, uh, son of Darth Mir set. Um, the, uh, Darth Maul son of Darth Mir set. Um, Whoa! Okay. It's not in as good a condition as they said it was, which sucks. And they sent it really shitty, but uh, I bought that. Um, Chad is 100% right when he says that that series is is gonna be big screen. But the problem is, is that he's he's saying it at a time when people have known that for a long time. So you're not gonna find those. A set of that from less than a hundred dollars. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, two more of the Wraith books came in this week. I'm still getting these in. Just like <laughs> I, I must have bought a thousand of them. Um, this I picked this up. I must have bought it because of Miles. Uh, Champions, the KRS Comics variant. Oh yes! Oh wow! So I picked that up. I picked this up because I think that people are really overlooking this book. And uh, I'll go through the top ten before I show you this book. Okay. I think I have books in the hot ten. Grizzle Geek was talking tonight that that made me think that that uh, Turtles book that we all bought, we all went on on that cover, The Last Ronin, that's already been picked yep. up by CBS to turn into a, a TV show. I'm not surprised. Dude, everybody is doing variants of that. Mm -hmm. I saw another badass fucking Ronin. There's a Pete Mimoko one. Dude, oh my god, I've seen so many cool variants. Like, I was like, like everybody is doing. Like, you could tell that that book is gonna explode. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Thank you for agreeing with me, Matt. Hundred percent. Fucking a, Kyle. All right, so the uh, honorable mention number one, the first one is the Golden Age one. This yeah, knock the fuck out. 
Rangers Comics number 29. Um, this a recent co- 9.6 copy sold for, excuse me, a 9.6 copy uh, sold for 1800 back in 2013. The same exact copy sold this week for $6,600. So let's get this cover right. <laughs> Wait. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Mad zone down. <laughs> I'm just, so I'm that just bitch done. Is tied up. I'm just done listening to him now. I've, I've heard enough. I've seen enough. So is 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 she getting saved from crab dude? Oh he's got God. a crab t-shirt on. He's got a long sleeve crab t-shirt on. And, and the there's somebody of- named Tiger Man that's in it too. And fire hair. Dude, what kind so, of is it? This is all, this is all I got to say to Kyle's joke right now. Cricket. <laughs> no. It's that was after, I mean, that was, you should have played after your one little joke about the... Um, hey, the, I don't know what you're talking about, Corbin. The one that Kyle was starting to flame. I don't know what you're talking about, Corbin. Okay. <laughs> the second uh, honorable mention, this is a crazy one. Shout out to uh, to listener Tim. Listener Tim, uh, big fan of uh, the Chopper uh, R2 unit, whatever, Astro yep. Uh Chopper is... Uh, He's not in the chat at all tonight. Either. Yeah. Okay. And yet he was sitting in our other group chat talking to somebody else who's not here tonight also. Like a fucker. Yeah. So, Both of anyways, uh, that, that Chopper character is kind of tied in with a lot of the newer Star Wars stuff. I saw listener Tim just purchased the first appearance of Chopper, which is Kanan number one, I believe. Mm-hmm. That book's going through the roof because it's the first comic appearance of Sabine Wren. Well, somebody, Topher from uh, comicbookinvest.com came out and basically showed everybody that this is the true first appearance of Sabine Wren in any comic form. It's uh, the Star Wars Rebel magazine. And uh, the it's been he's he's talked about it for a while, but a recent copy sold this week for four hundred and twenty-five dollars. I bet you Tim bought it. If he does, man, damn. <laughs> um, number ten uh, is a book that I oh, fucking nice. hate. I fucking hate this book so much because I've been trying to buy one for as long, Kyle. As long as you guys have known me, I've been trying to buy this book. Yep, and I can't find it anywhere. Um, and when I was trying to buy it, it was, you know, 600 bucks in a 9.8. Yep. Well, uh, unfortunately I've missed the bandwagon on it because 9.8s are selling for like $1,200. Jesus. Wow. So it's got that walking dead momentum right now with it. And they're a very low print run. Mm-hmm. Um, super, I, this, the, the, the first print is so hard to find. Usually you only see the Larry's comic, um, variant, which looks like this, but has a Larry's comic logo on it. Don't buy that one. Um, you could get the 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 first appearances. Uh, his his quote unquote first appearances in uh, Noble Comics or No Noble Family. What is it? I'm spacing on the name, but anyways, it, that's his first appearance of and and it's called Noble. Fuck. Anyways, you can also find previews of this issue in GI Joe, Masters of the Universe, and Savage Dragon as well. So uh, be specking on the universe one, don't you? I got them all. Uh, So I buy the the G.I. Joe one every time I see it. It's the cover where it's the battle android, the bat, and he's like on top of somebody like shooting down at him. Um, 
Anyways, uh, number nine this week, Bounty Hunters variant. This is the Bosque variant from Michael Golden, one in 25. Um, it's going for double the ratio. And Hey, hey Ryan. Yeah. There's a buy it now for Invincible number one, first print, 395 on eBay right now. Really? Yep. Raw? Raw, yeah. Hold on. Let's pause the show, everybody. <laughs> a. Look at Invincible. <laughs> buy it up. Share your screen. Include all of us in this awesomeness. I don't see it. It was the first one for me. I put in Invincible number one. First print, near mint or near Matt, mint plus. Tell us more about Invincible. White pages, one. image okay. comics, three ninety five. Let's have a bunch of uncomfortable silence. I don't see it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it in the chat. Hold on. Yeah, put it in the chat. Anyway, so this this Star Wars book is just going crazy. Um, original sin. Uh, I mean, first appearance of Silk is getting hotter. Uh, Fifty dollar book and raw. Oh, I got that. Anyone want to buy got it? that book? Yep. Yeah, they're they're going for um, crazy numbers and nine point eight. It's like two fifty plus. They were like one eighty five last week. So, so you think this is just because it's just Miles' thing? Everybody's just trying to get these first appearances now. Edge of Spider Verse, all this. Do you think that's just what it is? Yeah. It's the for anticipation sure. now of trying to be ahead of the curve. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's um, 100% people are just trying to spec like crazy. So, um, oh, man, it's got a couple spine ticks. Ugh, super spine ticked up. Let's see it. Bring it up. Let's all look at it together as a group. Oh, oh, so, all right. So here's the problem with this book. And the problem is it looks like a base. Oh, there it is. The problem, the solution is you don't have one, and there's one right there. So, yeah, but if it's not in the condition he wants, it's pointless to buy it. And then trade it. Why well, won't it let me do trade the, up? You know what I'm talking about? Why won't it let me do that? It won't let you. Like a yeah. There we go. And so this book you can't press out because it's a cardboard cover. Spy ticks right there. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. And there's you a, can't press those out. There's a nine two on there for a hundred for yeah, it's like there's probably like nine, nine twos. Get a fucking real. Nine eight for yeah, fourteen hundred bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. Nine six for seven ninety nine. Who wants a goddamn nine six? Nobody. Yeah, I might have to think about that. Let's we'll see. And they've got it at nine uh, near mint minus. Yeah, it's definitely not that. But uh, yeah, silk shit's going crazy. Uh, there, there is a J. Scott Campbell variant to this issue that's got Black Cat on the cover. It's selling for uh, like a hundred dollars less than nine point eight, which is crazy. Um, it's got a cooler cover. I mean, this cover is garbage. Yeah, Silk's on it, but just her arm and body. Yeah. And her hands look like man hands. Um, so, <laughs> man uh, hands, little sausage figures. Yeah. Number seven, static number one. I'm really Remember happy. When we were specking on those like That's six crazy. years ago. Yeah. I'm really happy to see this book getting some love. This book needs yeah. to get some love. Um, 
there is another. So like Kyle said, we have been definitely um, talking about this book for a while. We spec on it heavy back in the day. Anytime we saw it, we would buy it. But there is a issue in this series that uh, another issue that I've been trying to find for a long time. I had one a long time ago. And I unfortunately, I sold it. And uh, now I know I really want it back. This is uh, issue 40. And uh, the series only goes to 45. But uh, this is a really cool issue. Uh, as you can see, it's a static rolling with the Lost Boys. And for those of you guys that don't know, the Lost Boys were a hip-hop group out of New York back in the late 90s. Yeah. Uh, one of my all-time favorite hip-hop groups. Big fan of Freaky Ta and Mr. Cheeks. Um, so uh, rest in peace, Freaky Ta. Uh, that's the Lost Boys on the cover there with Static and Hardware, I believe. And uh, this is a tough book to find. Um, it, the print run is very small for the last five issues in the run, like almost non-existent. And not, I don't think a lot of people know about this cover yet and who's on it. But once that gets out, yeah, this book, yeah, this, I mean, not, so here's where comics is going right now. Comics is, is trending from the lovable nerd to the cool guy. Okay, mm -hmm. and and it's also trending to younger, and um, once um, the younger community and the, the music community and all that merges, the way it's doing with the hip hop covers, this could be a big book. So the you know hip hop covers and all that stuff, this could be a big book. Um, I love this book. Uh, if you guys ever find any, uh, hit me up. I'll definitely uh, take one off your hands. All right. So anyway, static number one is at number seven. Uh, um, basically, there's multiple covers. There's the blue and a red and a platinum, the or the orange, blue and a platinum. The orange and blues are like 35 to 40 range. Um, the platinums are way high. Uh, great book to spec on, though. I love this series. Number six, this is uh, Venom, the third print variant for Venom number three. Yeah, this is the, the null first appearance. Uh, again, this book's just still going crazy. 9.8s are around $400 plus. Raw copies are 175 Absolutely bonkers. Null is, is still going crazy as, you know, you got all of us buying Wraith copies, you know, to, uh, because this character is going to be big and it's going to be – this is the character that everybody's trying to spec on right now with Thrall or, or Thrawn and all those types of characters in Star Wars. Like, who's the next big bad? This is the next big bad in, in movies. This is your next Thanos. Like, this is the, the big bad guy that all the, the bad guys fear, you know? So um, I, I don't see this character not continue to just go crazy. Uh, Daredevil, Daredevil number nine, the first appearance of Echo. Um, this was on the list last week. It's moved up. Um, uh, copies are going for 40 to $50 plus crazy. Uh, and we're going to see supposedly this character in the MCU. Um, but, uh, issue number 10 has, uh, Echo on the cover. So she's not on the cover on this one. That's Black Widow. Uh, issue number 10, she's actually on the cover, and it's a beautiful cover just like this. Uh, this is the David Mack, Joe Quesada team-up cover that they do. They do the same thing for number 10, so um, check that out. Number four, uh, I think we talked about this on the show. Um, this is uh, Flashpoint number one, the San Diego Comic-Con variant. Um, this is the very first appearance of Tommy Swain. Um, you can only get it from... 
Graffiti Comics at Comic Con or through their website. At one point, they were selling these on their website for ten dollars a piece. You could have bought a hundred of them. So just be careful. This book out is, is there's a lot of copies of them. It's not available. It hasn't been available on their website for a while now. But at, you know, when Flashpoint first got rumored to get hot, uh, like a year and a half ago. I was buying the shit out of these and selling them. I was buying them for ten dollars, putting them up for twenty five. You know, selling them for twenty five. Um, it, it's it's not a rare book, and it's a cool cover though. It's got a, a gatefold cover, uh, flash on one side and zoom on the other, um, and it's just a it's a cool book. But uh, yeah, that's number four. Number three. This is a fun one because you can find this in fifty cent bins to this day. They're everywhere. Um, this is again on the heat of Michael Keaton coming back as Bruce Wayne. This is uh, Batman, um, the official movie adaptation, adaptation. Um, and this book, yeah, uh, if you could have got anything over a dollar for it up until a week ago, you you know, I would have called you crazy. Um, it's blowing up. Yeah, it's twenty plus right now. So, um, it's yeah. You got I, some of these? Uh, I saw one last week at Azia's up by my house. Remember yeah. when that, that first collection we brought together, Brian? Whoa. of those in there. Remember he yeah. had three or four or five? There's a bunch I, of them. I know where I got to be first thing tomorrow. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. So uh, number two is, uh, here you go, Matt. Uh, Thor, number five, the Black Winter book. Uh, you know, There's a little bit of a talk about this book right now because – of the Black Winter and Donny Cates, uh, a bunch of people came out and said, "Oh, the real first appearance is in uh, Silver Surfer number whatever." And Donny Cates immediately came back and clapped back on social media and was like, "No, no, no, it's not. The first appearance is in this book." Da da da. So now that got everybody good, wondering, boys. Yeah. Oh, I get to be my Kyle. I got, I got these. I got, I got these. <laughs> Are these the variant or the regular? Oh, those are, those regular are the regular cover. cover. Okay. So, um, yeah, these are, are going for 15 or 20 now and $70 for the one in 25. But came yeah. out Wednesday. Yeah. It did. The, uh, one in number 20, one, the one in 25 oh, was already a $70 book by the time it went on sale on Wednesday. Yeah. So when I was going through my books at the comic book store, that's one thing they said. They have been... They said they have gotten so many calls about that book that it's crazy for the amount of people that are asking and looking for this book. Well, Marvel yeah. books are low print run right now because they're still coming. They're still coming back from from Rona, so it's, it's these books are low print run, and they sold out already. What's and the print run so, on this, I'm not sure what the print run on this book is, but I know that's what one of the, they were talking about is that the the Marvel books have had low Who's print there? runs, comic shops. Verified places, of course. Yes. Where where do we go, Brian, to look at print runs? Um, let's take a look. Hold on. That's what everyone on eBay is advertising it as too. Low print run, first Black Winter. It's because they said it. Omicron, maybe. Uh, latest Diamond data. Okay. Uh, I want to search for four. Number five. I can't imagine why shops aren't ordering heavy on this book from the, the get. I don't see it. 
<laughs> Damn it. Yeah, sorry. Anyways, um, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. It's crazy. Number one this week, hip-hop covers. Just all in general. Ooh, the Doctor Strange. They I are going bonkers. Every one of those. Yeah, I Except the Miles when he sold it. Like, I love the hip-hop covers. I bought all of them. There's 157 of them. I bought a shitload of them. I felt like for a while, that's all I was buying was hip-hop covers. Yep. I remember when you were buying them. Yeah, because I, I was like, this is so cool. This is this is me. This is me at 14. Yep. With a lot of um, what this reminded me of. Listen to some of these sales figures. We already talked about the 9.8 miles that sold for like 900 today. Um. Raw, that book is going for 200 plus. Spider Gwen one is going for 40, 50 plus. Silk is going for 50 plus. Hawkeye is going for 40 plus. Black Panther's 30 plus. Vision is 80 to 100. Um, they're just going crazy. Uh, and What's they the, weren't tough to find. Do I mean, you have the Spider Man number one on there? The they have, um, They're all, all Eyes on Me, the Tupac variant? Yeah, they're all every hip hop one is going is on is number one this week. Like all of those books, and there's some books that were tougher to find than others. And if you remember, if you guys remember way back at the beginning of this, I said I'm not going to talk about this book until I, yeah. I get to deal with the top top ten. This book right here is the one in one hundred hip hop variant for hip hop covers. Um. Not a lot of people are talking about this book. This is uh, All New Inhumans number five, the one in 100 uh, Sugar Hill Gang cover variant, which is a sick ass cover. Um, this book dropped as low as like $10 a couple years ago. And we were, I remember just buying it up being like, that's going to be a, a tough book one of these days because it's one in 100 on the hip hop variants. And I don't know how many people, like the very first set of hip hop variants, I don't know how many people were really buying them at the time, you know, especially so all new. 75,988. That's the print run. That's uh, about what? the same print run as uh, Ultimate's Fallout number four. For, 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 for Thor? Thor yeah. number five. Nice. 75,988. Spider Woman one, 142,089. Um, Flash 750, 82,432. Yeah, I mean, that's not very big of a print run. Think about how high the print run is on those big ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a good print run. But yeah, it's not crazy like other print runs. No. But yeah, so that, that's the craziness. These hip-hop covers are just... Are just oh, dude, I'm digging them all out. You you should, man. You should. Uh, I don't think I have any of them. I know I I have maybe the um I just have the one in one hundred and the I have the Moon Knight one because that one was really cool. But and the Adam Hughes uh, NWA one. Yeah, I just thought they're all cool because I I just you knew every cover. You knew what they were doing. Every one. I know that. I know that one. I know that one. I know that one. And just. You know, just like, you know, like, I think the Howard the Duck one is still my favorite. It's Howard the Duck's food stamp card. Mm-hmm. Ah, dude. ODB. Mm-hmm. It's, when you saw that, you were just like, I, I remember him doing that special on, on MTV. Yeah. Remember that? 
He drove yep. a limo to the welfare office, went inside, got his shit, and came back and got his limo. Yep. <laughs> like, he was like, fuck you guys. It was awesome. He run that. <laughs> it was awesome. Crazy. Uh, spec, spec is crazy right now. And if you're part of it, you're making some money. Um, you're, you're really making some money. So. I mean, just like when I was in the comic book store today talking about it, like to get those variant covers, you had to buy. It was like, remember Jesse was telling us about it, Brian. What's that? A thousand percent more of some shit tile that you would never buy. You had to buy a thousand percent over what you normally would buy to be eligible to get those hip hop covers. Talk about that again. I don't think people realize that. Say that again. So to get those hip hop covers, what comic books, there were certain issues that comic book stores had to buy a thousand percent above their normal percentage that they bought of certain books. Okay. A thousand percent about to be eligible to be able to buy to to order the hip hop covers, so which means they had to eat a shitty book that nobody was going to buy because they were inflating numbers on shitty books that people didn't really want. And so, and these hip hop covers came out for a long. I mean, it was a long process. So every week, these comic book stores were getting screwed, having to buy these. Sh- thousand percent over what they normally bought shit books which is why i hope most comic book stores still have a lot of these books in there which not they didn't buy a lot of them so the print runs for those are actually kind of low those hip-hop covers yeah because oh, they yeah. had to do that it was so much extra money they didn't buy a lot a lot a lot of them so if you guys have the if you guys have them, then good for you guys. Like, I'm going to dig all mine out and see what's up because I know I got a shitload of them. Yeah, Probably you, 150 of them, but I I bought them every week. And you gave me one, and that's how that works. That's how we've done it. <laughs> <laughs> but nah, that's cool. I get that's Wow, some information I didn't even know. The Venom the Venom number one hip-hop covers dope as shit, too. On to Michael Keaton. Oh my God, we're over that. Um, real fast, I want to share something. Uh, if you guys don't remember, well, you should remember. You should have seen it. Uh, Jesse James came on Absolute Geek. When did he come on Absolute Geek? Came on uh, a couple couple weeks back. Yeah, isn't it going to be on? Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely want to uh, talk about that real quick. If you, if you, if I can um, share the screen. Uh, make sure you guys, if you if you want, check out uh, Jesse. Will be on uh, the weekend. Just let Nico know that we've already interviewed him. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about it during the show. So um, uh, make sure you guys check it out. It'll, it'll be a lot of fun. And uh, if there was any questions that you guys didn't get answered on our interview with them, um, try and ask in the uh, live section of the episode and uh, we'll try and get them answered. But uh, make sure you check that out. We so. need to get Jesse on again. I think he needs to be on here regularly talking yes. about the comic book industry. Yes. Like it should be three weeks. Jack. Well, the reason why I love Jesse is because if you've ever met somebody that's like that, like they always, I'm not saying that he always tells the truth, but the guy, like, I don't ever catch him in a lie. So he doesn't ever have to worry about it. You know what I mean? Like he's got that persona. Like he doesn't, he's like, I'm not talking bad about some, but something unless I really feel that way. You know what I mean? So he's honest and, um, 
he's he's got a he's got a little uh, background where he's like, you know, there's such thing as karma. So uh, I always respect that, and he's not afraid to tell it like it is, and uh, he definitely sh you know shows that in in all the interviews. Dude, he has been. I, I can never say it enough, dude. That dude has been so good to me yep. that that when I actually got to buy that dude a beer and hang out with him, like it was it was I wouldn't say it was an honor, but like it felt good being like, here, these beers are on me. Let's just sit and we can hang out and let's bullshit at the bar. Like it was it was like when he said, Hell yeah, I'm on my way, I was like Fuck yeah! Like, it's it's not just he wasn't just my friend because I'm a customer at his comic book store. Yeah, like I am one of Jesse James's friends. He's a good dude, and so like you know what I mean. Like, so when I was like, "Hey man, I'm at the you know I'm I'm a mile from you, do at the bar. Come, I'll get to, you know come hang out with me. I'm on I, my way." I think that uh, we have a uh, you know a small comic store owner community here in the valley. It, sh it needs to be larger. It seems like it's dwindling every day, but the uh, stores owners that are around here, um, as you guys can tell by watching or listening to our show, uh, the way we talk about all of our store owners, there's there's very few store owners around here that um, aren't great great people to spend money with. So yeah, um, like. You know, I went to Ken today, and it was great. I sat there for a half hour, and it was great talking to him and Susan. You know, and I, you know, and then like you know, a couple weeks, you know, the other week before when we were in Fantastic Worlds, just sitting there bullshitting is awesome. It's just, it's it's you go to all these stores, and there's all these great things about each store. Yep, and that's why nobody should be. This is the only store I shop at. It should. This is why you should always. Shop at every store. You should always yeah. spread your love. Which Each one has brings its own us identity. to a oh, fantastic point. Oh my god, this guy. Go ahead, Corbin. No, I, it's all good. I lost my thought now. No, I'm, I'm gonna kidding. let you go. go. Matt, I, I was giving you our time, Matt. Go on. No, go ahead. I'm. I'll, Matt, let, I'm, I'll let you introduce it, Corbin. Com, uh, com, introduce what? Comic crawl? Yeah. No, that's your baby. You're the best equipped for it. I Let's hear it. Okay. So, which what Kyle was just preaching about before I was so rudely interrupted by Corbin. You actually interrupted me. us. Honestly. We were talking. Honestly, you this was Matt. This was Matt. One second. I'm about to do it. Perfect point, which well, leads me exactly. right in the middle of a goddamn sentence. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You know who's the host? I'm the goddamn host. So if I'm gonna, there's a delay. Fucking, there's, there's a delay. delay. <laughs> Fuck off. But um, <laughs> off. Um, you know my favorite part of Matt is when he's totally not listening and he just goes, "Yeah, the last <laughs> thing you said." But I have no idea what you said. So I agree a thousand percent. And it I know that. I, I know that's a technique, but yeah, gotta listen beforehand. Yeah, movies, and so. Oh my god! <laughs> you're just catching it tonight, man. I know. Oh, man. It's all right. Just... <laughs> it's all right. Um, brings me. Kyle was saying brings me to a perfect point. Good. Is Let's starting in July. We're gonna try to do July 10th, I believe. That's yeah, nice. July 10th. Yeah, um, so so actually, no. We have to do shit. It's the 11th. Saturday, July 11th, we are starting what we're calling the Comic Crawl. If you are in the Phoenix area, 
we are going to start doing a program where we're going to help support shops that are in trouble or were in trouble or had to shut down via COVID. We are going to set up a page we don't or actually know any list. comic shops are in trouble. Well, that, but they, they need oh, help because of COVID. Support exactly. All of our shops. But, like, so we want to support our shops. So we're going to do what's called the comic crawl where we're going to put out every week. Or we'll, so which shops are in trouble, Matt? Let us know. Oh my God. We should, you, well, let, you present it. Present it, Kyle, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Anyways, we're, we're going to support. Let's hear it. Come on. So what's the first shop that's stop, in trouble stop. that we're going to help? Okay. Stop. I hear it. We are going to start randomly supporting our comic book community, our local shops here in Phoenix. If you're in the Phoenix area and you listen to this show, we'll let you know where to meet. We're not going to tell the, uh, shore, the shop owners we're coming. We're going to let you know where we're going to meet. We're going to go to a random shop. Once a month, we're going to shop that store to help them out. Hang out, good vibes. Good Hang time. out, good vibes. Spend money, support the shop, help Very them out. Cool. We are going to personally pull comic book stores out of trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. match words. That's right. But, but the thought is good. I'm excited for this. Good to be good. No, we're going to go and we're going to just exactly what we're saying. Every comic book store in the valley is good for its own reason, and there's no reason to. Not spread the love. So we're gonna start spreading the love. Yeah, Why like Chuck just said, anyway. don't forget your masks. I totally won't. <laughs> there we go. Sounds um, yes, like and, a flash and mob. All- totally flash mob that shit too. Yep. We should totally have a dance set up. We go inside. <laughs> as soon as like the absolute geek guys walk in, everybody starts doing that. Yep. 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 Matt walks in, everyone goes like this. Stay alive, stay alive. Help, 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 help the comic book store. <laughs> oh my god! Absolute geek said you guys are in trouble. What can I do to help? We are here to help. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure all shops need it. Need help from being we're shut down for weeks. We are here weeks. to save you. Yeah, it will be. It's going to be fun. It's going to be cool because the shops won't know which shop we're going to. We don't want the shops to be ready for us. We want to walk into a shop where. You know, it's the normal, you know, what a normal shop has available. Um, and uh, and we want to talk about it on the show. That's another thing. Like, when we go there, we want to say what, what our experience was like and, and have people talk about their experiences and who they met there. And yep, we're going to have cameras so we can, we can show what the local shop looks like, what they have to offer you, you know, interview the owner, get their eBay information, online information, whatever we got to get so you can help them out too and and buy off their ebay store or buy offline wherever you are to help support that shop that we went to that month so we'll give you more information as we we get closer to it but the invite is open to everyone who listens to the the podcast to come out and we urge you to do it in your local community too absolute geek podcast at absolute geek podcast at gmail.com and we will make sure to hit your store so that you can be out of trouble this fucking guy man this I fucking guy. On one today. Three hours Jack of this was, shit. Ever since Jack I've had was, enough. Kyle, I've done. I think, I think I was so quiet in the interview just to make up for lost time. It was a good show tonight, though. Good show. It was. I enjoyed it, as always, though. Yeah, yes. just like Bar Rescue. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're going to call it. Absolute Geeks Comic Book Rescue. There you go. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I'm just going to hit both doors. So that, those bar rescue guys are fucking assholes. I don't want to be associated with them. You you could tell, dude. You could tell it's a lot of, even from your interview, but even before that, you could tell it's set up. They do a lot of shit because it's there's it's TV. It has it, there has to be drama. There has to be bullshit that they find. 
Great question, Chuck. How will people be notified? We're working that out. We're gonna have a secret uh, chat. If hey, so if Matt if Matt goes like this to Kellen, he gives him the wink and the gun to go take the dog out. That means message Matt at absolutegeekpodcast.gmail.com. We should set up. We got to. It's gonna be hard. We got to set up some some way that it's not the comic shop owners. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, Cam, it's fun. That's why I'm, like, I'm sorry, it's fun. You can't be part of the chat, brother. I'm Thanks still thinking of, of how to notify people. Story. No, it's good. I it's already good. like I figured that, but I thought we could do like a mail, uh, an email list, or like the shows where we're gonna go, or a, a or at chat. the last minute. At the last yeah. minute, that's what we should do. Join this this comic group on Facebook. We'll call it the Comic Crawl Phoenix group. Yeah. Join our absolute group. And that morning, we will say where we're going. This is where to meet us up. Yeah. I like that. That's Are we already? Set. Yeah. Like Kyle just said, we have an absolute geek group page that you can join. There Request you go. To join and we can drop it on there. Yeah. Yep. That's solid. That's solid. When you get the finger, so, uh, you know it's time to message us. Oh, my Lord. Fucking Kyle's on one. <laughs> let's, let's end this show, guys. <laughs> no way. We haven't even talked. About Michael Keaton. Yes, we did. You didn't want to talk about Michael Keaton. You said, "Who gives a crap about Michael Keaton?" I gotta bring it up. You want to send me on the yeah. show? Okay. Yeah, Michael. Michael Styles. <laughs> Michael Styles says, "I always love how Kyle's always like, great idea, Matt, but here's why it's stupid." <laughs> uh, that's right. He right now. Uh, he right now. Do it on new comic book day. That's a idea, but the problem is that a lot of people work on Wednesdays, man. Yeah, it's easier to get people together on a Saturday. Yeah, to get people on a. And we do it on a Saturday. Most people get paid on a Friday by it on a biweekly basis, so they got that money to buy them big boy books. Yeah, big boy books. I look at. They can or barter for. Or yeah, or Corbin will give you a a grade A class in bartering. Hey. Why is everything at this shop dirty? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Esteban wasn't there for that, even though it happened at his own shop. I mean, listen. I get, dude. He's got that cute little baby. Yeah. I wouldn't want to come see us ugly motherfuckers no, either. I don't, that little cute baby. Baby. Oh. Yourself. I don't know. That's a pretty cute baby, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just, an, it's just an idea, man. You know, It's a good one. I'm, I'm excited to do it. Help people so we're not going to draw into comics tomorrow. Break some bread. Do, whoa, huh? No. I'm definitely not going to draw into comics tomorrow, man. I am. I'll be there. I want to, but... Uh, I went I went tonight. I went today because... You did I your have, part. You did your part. I have, job. I have family. I've got a lot of shit I got to do tomorrow. But yeah, so we're starting July... Officially, July 11th will be the first one. And join the Absolute Geek Faith Group page not the not the absolute key page there's a, a different oh, you fan said page there's a different yeah. fan page i think it's actually hidden though isn't it well i have to the, here's the way that here's why that works so well like you're a smart boy is because i have to we have to boy. me and you oh, wait 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 no wait i'm sorry you have to do what <laughs> no, Matt? me and you great overruler <laughs> of absolute geek what does, what does 
Matt okay. Fuhrer has as to the be. admin of the page. We have to approve everybody who requests to join it. Yes. So I will know if you're a shop owner requesting to join it. Yeah. Because Matt. But even that's even if you are a shop owner, it doesn't matter. It's not just a hat. Right. It's not just to hold a hat. It, there's there's, yeah. there's smarts there. Even if you are a shop owner, it doesn't matter because we're going to say what uh, what place we're going to hit up that day, that morning. I hate you, Kyle. I hate you so much. <laughs> Such a fucking liar. <laughs> I've had enough of you to last a lifetime tonight. <laughs> Could break some bread, see Matt get off with some bread. Yeah, we'll go. I'll go get some lunch at a at a, a Chili's or something. Yeah, go to Chili's. <laughs> Corbin can sit in high chair. <laughs> Corbin can order drinks before, or Corbin can order the entree before the drink. Listen, I like to waste time. I know I'm going to get the giant cookie if they have it. I am like, <laughs> forever going to order like that for the rest of my life. What would you like to drink? I want the number seven. <laughs> <laughs> Onions. No tomatoes, <laughs> mustard. I just gotta make sure I don't pass out again, or I'll find myself on the screensaver thanks to diabolical. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna make sure I eat and don't fall asleep. Make sure, make sure I'm up. Matt's <laughs> face says, "Hey, prick, fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh. And we can walk. Yes, when we go to Fantastic River, we we'll walk right across the street to a, the wonderful Wendy's and eat. Yep. Got a fantastic yeah. chilies again. Fantastic chilies. It'll be good. Or that really nice Mexican restaurant that's right there spitting. Oh, actually, I was so excited when we were going to go to the Red Robins, but it was closed, so maybe it'll be open when we go back down. I just love it. We were pulling, or like we Googled all these places to eat as we we're pulling. I was like, there's a goddamn Mexican restaurant right there that we just pulled away and just drove off. We're going to go to chilies. We're going to go to chilies. It's like seven miles away. Well, this was decent, though. Yeah. Welcome to Chili's. I wanted to go to the Wendy's, and everyone was like, no, not the Wendy's. They're trash. No, Wendy's. Wendy's. Oh, that was a no, 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 no. You <laughs> said Subway. You said, like, Subway or some shit. I said Wendy's. Uh, then I said Subway. Then that bug came and was crawling up on you. And <laughs> no. You like, no. You, let's talk about you who screamed like a girl from that I didn't bug. Scream like, I screamed in a, in a high-pitched fashion. No. Kyle, like a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I do not remember like that. Oh, I remember it perfectly. Do you Kyle, remember you're jumping out the chair to avoid it touching you, Matt? No, I, I sat there the entire time. <laughs> no, no, Matt. There's... No, no, <laughs> sir. Three legs, dude. I sat there the entire time. You're the one that was like, ah! like you... <laughs> that motherfucker came there. You jumped up. Ah! No, I kicked the thing away. Oh, Portillo's. Why don't we go down there? I, Ooh, I, feel like us, I feel like one of us brought it up. It probably was me. And someone got denied. Probably, who brought it? I, was, I brought it. We went over the restaurants. Place behind the Circle K, Chuck. Which one did I you I love get? Portillo's, man. Yeah, I only went there once. It was actually with you guys, I think. Um, I don't think maybe yeah. were you there, Brian? I don't I know, think so. No, it, it was, was me, was, you. Like, yeah. Um, it was Kyle after old, it was after old Man Con. Old Man Con. Yeah, that's right. And I oh, what's that Italian joint? The Chicago. Yeah, and they had that chocolate cake shake, which was... So weird, but so good. Fucked me up. Oh, yeah. I love their, their uh, oh, Italian. I fucking you know what? That's where I'm an it. asshole for like two days. That's the next place. <laughs> yeah, that, that was good. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll have some good trades. And if it would go fantastic worlds, I can practice again. And, and you know what? It would be the ultimate, the ultimate thing to happen out of all this that it turns into a. Uh, maybe a, like a um, a small convention like we used to do with John, 
where we, we ran out of VFW and all the fans of that do the comic crawl can bring their wares. And I would it. love to look at that. I would love to look into us doing that comic book swap meet, finding out yeah. where we could rent out. Like, like you just said, a VFW hall somewhere. We talk about doing this for like five years. We should, we should put it in action. Comic book swap yeah. meet where people yeah. can come buy, sell and trade their books, their collections, whatever they want. And we don't take anything off the top like somebody else we know who wanted to. It's just, you just come, sell your shit, and move on. Yeah. Come, sell, move. There you go. There you are. Spoken like Chicago. Move, come. Whoa, I don't know about come. Whoa. I mean, so, I, I heard... So I heard that this is the... It for this week. Again. We're gonna end this. We're gonna end this show this week because that's what we I heard. Didn't get into any news? Oh. Well, you, well, we did. Wrapped on all the news we were gonna talk about. You said none of it matters. Not gonna catch up to Jack. I don't even know who cares about Batman. Who cares yeah. about? You can just do anything. Let's just end the show. And then again, I hundred percent agree with Corbin. Again, hundred percent agree with Corbin. I never once said let's end the show. No, no, you never said end the show. You just said everything that we were going to talk about afterwards didn't matter, so let's talk about it. And but I said, that's what I said, because you were just shooting out everything else. If you want to go listen to, to everyone's talking about Michael Keaton, Batman, no one gives a okay. about Flash. So yeah. what was the title uh, of Grizzle Geek? You, you literally went and told us to go listen yeah. to Grizzle Geek. You, you told us went. to leave the, our own show and go to a different show <laughs> if we want to talk about <laughs> Batman. Are you remembering that? What was the title of Grizzle Geek this week? I don't know. I, I didn't catch all of them. I was able to come on for a minute. Probably Michael Keaton's Batman, but guess what? We are totally different people. Mike and Doug are two different, unique people, and Kyle has his own opinion, and that basically is fuck the news, and I have an opinion, and Matt has an opinion, and we can all talk about the same subject from different opinions. God, okay. Corbin's talking so fast, I don't think I have an opinion anymore. When I, when I get fired up, I go What do you think about this, Corbin? I think it's perfect. However, scrap the stupid Flashpoint idea like Matt said, who I agree with a thousand and ten percent, and go with Batman Beyond for the 80 frick frickin' this time. Okay, I don't even know 80 frick time. Because we've done this so many times with Michael Keaton, you finally have this Batman. This is where you... Uh-oh. I think the I think Grizzle Geeks was... Oh, I like it. I think that, like, almost half a bottle. I think Grizzle Geeks episode was was something like the real bat <laughs> the real Batman's back in the cowl or something like that. But I mean, know. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it just ultimately I, I don't know, I don't know. I like I'm glad he's back. Use him for a storyline that works. Take the punch, of Batman Beyond. Stop doing the stupid Flashpoint stuff to re or reignite a universe that has been flopping pretty much from the beginning, except for like Aquaman and, and Shazam, which aren't going to leave. Oh. Ice, Chuck. There's no ice. Alright, Scott wants to do some news. We'll do some news. We'll do some odd news. Let's get up. Tonight, the Six Dad World Primetime Special with people just like you, only more pathetic. It's a bit nutty. You're crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> Topless UK woman saves family from drowning. A 28-year-old British woman saved two sisters and a cousin from drowning in the waters topless. while topless. Who does not want to get rescued topless? <laughs> fat dude. <laughs> I don't even have a comment to that. Could you imagine, like, you know, just like it's Sandlot, can you imagine if what's-her-name dove in topless? 
to fucking to save dude and, and, and he kissed I her. Mean, like, to save I know how to swim and I, I know how to swim. I'd be like, I'm limp. I'm drowning. Like, yeah. To save that, that would, that would like, like you could nestle between the boobies. And Wendy, the wasn't her name Wendy Peppercorn? Yes. Wendy Peppercorn? Well, that's the name right there. And then you just, you just, she just back. back I need back. some Wendy Paprika myself. Paprika? <laughs> 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 yeah, you can grab onto her two flotation we devices. Doing, we were doing the interview, and fucking Jack said he when he was having his conversation with fucking uh, James Earl Jones, I about lost my shit. I, I, <laughs> right? I about <laughs> lost my shit. Oh, James Earl Jones, the one who killed uh, MLK, of course. <laughs> the one and only. And, dude, I almost said, didn't he kill MLK? Like, and I was like, you know what? I, he, he's not going to get it, and it's no. probably not going to go over well. And then it go awkward. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, but I, was, I looked at dude, I was like, abort, <laughs> abort. If you look back, I think I repeat. I went, because I was going to go there, and I said, he said it. I'm like, I whisper like, oh, yeah, moly. James Earl Jones. <laughs> like, Esteban says if you're drowning, she has trapped air pockets in her under boobs. <laughs> it would suck if you're drowning and you think you're getting saved by a topless woman. And when you get to the shore, you're like, fuck, it's a fat guy. <laughs> it's a fat it's hairy so man. You've got man so tit in your face. A uh, man's bladder explodes after holding in a pee for 18 hours after beer oh. binge. Chinese oh. man bladder burst when he unknowingly held his pee for 18 hours after binging on booze, according to a report. That's okay, always- and, and oh. if you read the report, he binged on 10 beers. <laughs> he, his bladder exploded. What is he, like, three foot four? His Probably. bladder must be this fucking big, dude. I had 10 beers, my bladder exploded. Fuck off. And that just sounds to me. Well, that yeah, just sounds And like hearing that and knowing I have to go do number one right now, I'm going to leave so mine doesn't burst. Do number there one. You go. I got ten beers in my bladder. Yeah, way. <laughs> Don't hold your bladder. When I read that article, that your bladder might splatter. The dude was probably like three foot four. <laughs> Uh, the last little bit of odd news. Deer runs in Black Lives Matters protest in New Jersey, seriously injuring a woman. <laughs> what? A deer ran into a Black Lives Matters protest in New Jersey, seriously injuring a woman. Whoops. Suicidal, yeah, you didn't plan for that one, did you? Suicidal deer, man. <laughs> I was watching this thing with Glenn Beck yesterday. Did you see that? That Glenn Beck thing? Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. He, he he was showing where all the Black Lives Matter money goes. They only really? go six percent of it. Yeah, aren't there like the two two heads of Black Lives Matter like two Jewish dudes? It's like uh, it's like some other company. It's like there was another there was another company that like oh, financed it, and they were like, and yeah, they get they get most of the money. Black Lives Matter only gets like six percent of all their donations. Wow. Yeah. Wow, Damn. that's fucking wrong. Yeah, if you go and he Glenn Beck did it like two days, like yesterday the twenty-fifth or the twenty-fourth. So if you go on YouTube and look up Glenn Beck, you can see it's like twenty minutes or something he's talking about it. It was crazy though. I was like, what the fuck? 
There you go. You hear that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that pin drop? I did. <laughs> what the fuck? Ding. Watch. Listen. This is this is what I hear. Again. <laughs> this is what I hear. That's all I hear right there. All right, I think that's a good place to end it this week. Do you? Yes, I do, man. We've been going for over three hours. We. What was your inspiration? Look, look, we started early. We had a great fucking interview. Like early. Hey, we were on time though. That's Jack's gonna watch the rest of this interview and just be like, "Fuck those guys." Yeah, he'd be like, Uh, "Fuck those guys." Those guys are fucking awesome. Be like, my best friend Kyle is no longer my best friend. I agree with Kyle. Matt, why did you ask me that question? Oh why was God. that question asked twice? All right. Well, I got plenty of interviews coming up to to fix that, to rectify I mean, that issue. So, so. so when you did your other interview, did you ask the same question twice? No. Not that I know of, but I'm going off my questions to be, play it safe. Because I don't well, want to get into a territory where I don't, don't know what the fuck I'm talking safe. about. Just talk to That's them. my biggest fear is getting into something with these people that I don't know what I'm fucking talking about and have them be like, what are you, what are you, some kind of idiot? Like the interview with Jack? Yeah. Fuck you, Corbin. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I, I had to do just a random one. I know. And they did well, a great a job, big, Matt. A big thank you to Jack O'Halloran. Yes, thank you, Jack. Oh, thank you. That dude is fire, man. It's like, like, I was hanging on every word of that dude. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go back and probably watch like, Part of me was like, where is he at? It is still daylight the entire time for this interview. He's in California. He's in Cali. Is, aren't they on the same time as us right now, though? But I was yeah, like, it's dark time. outside. How is it behind him? How the fuck is there daylight no. coming? I think it was no. a TV, dude. I think it was a TV behind him or a computer screen. I did hear voices. Oh, dude, that was a window. I mm. thought it was, but when we rewatch on further analysis, we'll probably come to a different agreement. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Oh my god. There's a couple times I was like, I thought he was like in Japan or something because it was fucking daylight out and I thought he was talking to us. Uh, but yes, big thanks again to Jack O'Halloran for joining us in Dude, awesome interview. Talking history and Superman too. No. We just said, hey, we just shot the shit. Yeah. It was a great it was a great story time with Jack. Yeah. And uh be on the lookout for the other interviews we have coming out. Um yeah, Larry Hankin, Larry Hankin, um, and so many others. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> the you just gave our <laughs> all the. We got this I'm guy. I'm so bad at this because I'm just waiting for you to fucking bust my balls. <laughs> just, wait, just so I'm just many. waiting. Every word yeah, I say, many. I'm like, "Fuck!" He's gonna just mock the shit out of everyone. <laughs> we got we got Larry coming on, and honestly, like <laughs> and so other many. people, I just I can't even get through this. So I know the random. minute I say something, Kyle's gonna be all over me, and I'm just like. So you just need to end it. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's just got to come to an end, man. Fuck. You you'll catch all these great guests on Couch Country on Friday night, 7.30. That's Not Couch Country. I know. I'm, oh, he's tired. Uh, That's dude, I'm just... Tired. All right. So we've got... Be on the lookout for our great interviews coming with Larry Hankin and Bill Foster. And some... Absolute Geek Podcast at gmail.com. I, I can't even talk. <laughs> Still talking over me. Like it's just not stopping. <laughs> it's just not stopping. Oh my God. 
Um, join us next week. We have interview with uh, John Pierre Giginoli. I'm fucked that up again. I'm sure uh, we're talking about Ford versus Ferrari. Kyle's going to pick his brain on, you know, paranormal investigation. Maybe we can get him to do some rap and some improv and some comedy for us. Dude, we should do a rap battle with him. There you go. Write a rap. Oh, I like to shit big piles. There you go. Kyle's got that. There he is. But, um, for this week, if you had a great time tonight, please make sure to hit that like and subscribe button. Uh, please make sure to leave comments down below. Hit that notification bell so you know when we go live every Friday night or when we upload one of our awesome upcoming interviews because we've got a lot coming. Um, if you're finding us on a Monday on our playback, make sure to hit that like and subscribe button on any of your podcasting listening platforms. Make sure to leave us a review as it helps us so much in the uh, podcast standings. Um, and... Uh, Make sure to check out Tales from the Spinner Rack Sunday nights. Don't check that out. Make sure check to check out. out make check. sure to check out Grizzle Geeks Friday nights at six o'clock before we go on. Check out Couch Crunchers tomorrow night if you need more podcasting. And make sure to check out Bogcast Tales from the Flip Side and like every nine Dang. other podcasts Brian's a part of. So for this, this week's episode of the Absolute Geek Podcast, I'm Matt. I'm I'm Kyle. I'm Brian. And I'm Corbin. And we'll see you guys next Friday. Maybe. <laughs> if you're a comic book store that's that's trouble, we're gonna help you out. That, 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 don't stay though. I, I know.